Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and I'm a part of this podcast, a piece of media that won't traumatize your children and make them very quiet for a long time afterwards. <laughs> well, it remains to be seen, Dave. <laughs> Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. Finally, a movie starring the Microsoft Zune. <laughs> <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. If you ask me how I'm doing, I'll say, I am great. <laughs> oh, wow. You know, for some for some background, you know, there. Uh, let me, let me that, pull that's back what the we curtain. call a 30 second blurb. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let, let me pull back the curtain a little bit for folks here listening to the film guest. Um, every week, you know, everyone knows what they need to prepare for the podcast, like what we've been watching, the main review, <laughs> weekly plugs. And there is a reminder in bold and highlighted. Think up an opening statement for the show, right? Do I, but do I ever? And the, invariably, Jeff cannot. Uh-huh. I'm like, hey, does everyone have your opening statements? And Jeff's like, nope, nope. And so he Me- will. Meanwhile, think Jeff of- looks over to a box of frosted flakes and is like, <laughs> ha! inspiration. I almost went with. Uh, I've heard of Animal Planet, but this is ridiculous. Oh, my God. Anyway, sometimes... So, you know what? Sometimes you get the lesser of two weevils. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so, anyway, uh, very often the opening statements are thought up like five seconds before the show begins, and sometimes it's more obvious than not. So, yeah. anyway, just just a little behind, behind the scenes. I know people love to get a, a glimpse behind the curtain there. What's um, sadder, Dave, that, that you've been working on yours for hours? <laughs> or that I just came up with mine in two seconds? Hours is a strong word. Hours is a strong word. But anyway. All right. Well, those are, of course, all vague and oblique references to the fact that today on the podcast, we're going to be discussing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, the latest entry of the MCU written and directed by James Gunn. Really looking forward to getting your thoughts on this one. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Find us on TikTok at thefilmcast and find us on Instagram, Twitter, uh, and YouTube at thefilmcastpod. Um, join us on those platforms. We're posting videos every single week, and uh, we'd appreciate seeing you over there. And of course, patreon.com slash filmpodcast is how you can support this show. Sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. This week on the After Dark, we're going to be discussing Polite Society, uh, the newest Nita Manzur movie that's out in theaters right now. It should be a lot of fun to talk about that movie as well. Um, and a big thanks to all the folks at patreon.com slash film podcast who make this show possible. I do want to mention one other programming note. You know, typically I save the uh what we're going to be reviewing next week till the very end so that you have a motivation to listen all the way to the end of the episode. But uh, I do want to announce that next week on the podcast, we are going to be reviewing Bo is Afraid. We got many requests for, for this mm-hmm. movie on the Slack, on Twitter, on the Patreon. People are like, where's the Bo is Afraid review? Um, which means that I, I'm going to go out there and say 80% of the people who saw Bo is Afraid are listeners of this podcast based on <laughs> probably, probably. how well Bo is Afraid. Aren't, uh, you have two days left to see this movie probably because it's leaving all my theaters at this yeah. week. Yeah. yeah, so it's unfortunate. It's the feel-good hit of the summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. I think you should all rush out and see it. Yeah, it is unfortunate that by the time our Bo is Afraid review is going to be out, it will probably be hard to watch in theaters, but I, I have no doubt it will be coming you know to... What? Uh, yep, I would ahead. argue it's hard to watch anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but uh, fair enough, Jeff. It's it's hard to watch even if you are in the theater yeah. at a yeah. showing of Bo's Afraid, is what you're saying. It's, yeah. Its availability <laughs> has nothing to do with how hard it is to watch. I'll just say that. Yeah. So anyway, it'll probably be on video demand soon, but we got a lot, of, I would say, dozens of requests to review Bo's Afraid. So thank you for all of your requests. And despite the fact that very few people have seen this movie in America, that will be our review next week because um, a lot of not very many big movies coming out next week. Uh, well, we're 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 in that mode where we're just about to to break through into into popcorn season, right? Yes. Where the the blockbusters are going to be Fast and Furious, no pun intended, literally uh, coming soon. <laughs> uh, so right before we do, we're going to do Guardians, like, the, you know, kicking yeah. off the summer. Yeah. And then we're just going to take a quick detour. <laughs> yeah, <a> quick detour. <laughs> into not popcorn town. Yeah. And then literally every movie yeah. after that for 10 weeks yeah. Yeah. will be a major blockbuster release. Let's just sit quietly in our anxiety for three yeah. hours. Exactly. Yeah. Join yeah. us, folks. I was yeah. going to, you know, we'll talk about this at a later date, but I was going to pitch to you guys uh, discussing You Hurt My Feelings instead of The Little I really want to see that. Yeah. I really want to see so, that. Yeah. I'm excited maybe, to see that. Maybe, but one of those movies will make $500 million more than the other one, so we'll see. But uh, anyway, yes, you should assume after Bo is Afraid, it's going to be nonstop blockbusters, baby. So yeah. a lot to look for. This is the, the most packed summer we've had since 2019. And uh, I, for one, am really looking forward to this time when the podcast will be mildly relevant in people's lives again. So <laughs> but, anyway, but before that, Bo is afraid. Bo is afraid. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get wildly irrelevant for a week. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So anyway, before we get to any of that, though, we got a little bit of film news we want to discuss, plus some what we've been watching and weekly plugs this week. Let's talk about the biggest story in Hollywood right now, which is the writer's strike that's going on. And wanted to share a few thoughts on the writer's strike uh, before we get on with the show, because I think we all on the podcast here think that writers are really important. Um, without people writing uh, the stuff that we are watching and discussing, we wouldn't have a job here on the podcast. Yeah, There would be um, no media, it mm -hmm. turns out, or at least uh, just reality shows. Yeah. And even those are written, you know. So the Writers Guild of America, uh, a little bit over 11,000 members, has chosen to strike. And one of the things that's really interesting about this strike is um, the, the points in which they are disagreeing with the studios. They are mm -hmm. very, very far apart uh, on many of these points. Um, it's not like, oh, hey, they want 3% of something and the studios are saying, you know, 1% and they can be in the middle 2%. Like there's some things that they are really, really far apart on in terms of what they're willing to agree on. Um, and I'll list just a, a couple of them. Um, one of them is streaming residuals. Uh, streaming has remade the entertainment industry. And before, you know, writing often for many people is an unstable job. And so you need to save when you make money. And then uh, you have residuals, uh, which are fees that are paid whenever a work is reused. Uh, residuals are paid to writers and they help sustain writers through the barren periods when they're not necessarily selling a lot of work. Well, residuals have gone way down in the streaming era. And so they want uh, residuals and the way they're calculated to be redone. Um, another a kind of related topic is visibility into how well work is doing. You know, often something will debut on Netflix. You have no idea how many people are watching it. That makes it harder for people to value their own work. And then 
AI, artificial intelligence. You know, uh, writers want assurances that um, there will be limits to the way AI is used in the near future. The studios are unwilling to provide any of those assurances. And so it's just like there are multiple deal points for which there is mm-hmm. like no no compromise even within sight. Uh, so it really does feel like this writer strike is going to last for many months. Yeah. I, have a few I, I wonder more, yeah. if, if uh, people remember the, the dark days of what the 2008 Ooh, strike and what we got uh, in terms I of the media that was actually released <laughs> because of that. We got uh, Quantum of Solace. We yeah. got Transformers 2. It was a dark time. Yes. Quantum of Solace and Transformers, what, Revenge of the Fallen? Was that the yep. second one? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, th- those are movies that were notoriously impacted by the writer's strike. And f- for the worse, like those those are works of art that are were theoretically made worse because of the strike. And I think we're going to see something similar here. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jeff, you were saying you definitely remember. Tell us about that. Like what, what, what comes to mind when you think of the last writer's strike? And I think it was 2007, 2008, if I recall correctly. It was, yeah. I, uh, I named my World of Warcraft character Winter Strike uh, <laughs> because uh, I was living through it, baby. And there was nothing to do except play video games. Mm-hmm. Did you pick it mm-hmm. in uh, World of Warcraft, Jeff? Just stand <laughs> indeed, around and hold indeed. the side. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Hell no, we won't go into the dungeon. That's what we always said. <laughs> um, the uh, living in Los Angeles during that time and working in the entertainment industry, it was bleak. It mm-hmm. was bleak. I mean, uh, from a end user standpoint, from a viewer standpoint, uh, the media got real bad, real fast. But from a person trying to work in that industry, uh, live in that town, it was uh, apocalyptic. It was true. Everything ground to a halt. It lasted w- really long. And nothing was being made. No one was getting jobs. Everybody was out of work. It was really scary. And it transformed how television was made. And it put a big, much bigger emphasis on unscripted, as they called it. Um, and, and I fear that, let me just say, first of all, I 100% support the strike. There's not a part of me that doesn't support it. Absolutely. However, (laughs) I am very afraid that this will also have big ripple effects and uh, have a very, very negative, a negative outcome on the industry as a whole. You know, part of what you outlined, uh, Dave, in setting the story up is this issue with uh, AI and and the writer saying, hey, we want some assurances that you're not going to use our work to train our replacements basically to train mm-hmm. the, yeah. Yeah. the AI to write like us, which I think is a very reasonable thing to ask for. Uh, the scary part is it's like, Hey, don't replace us with the robots. And how we're going <laughs> to, how we're going to ask for that is by refusing to work and requiring you to figure out some way to get work like what we would do mm. without us. It feels like an accelerant uh, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, ironically, or maybe, uh, per- perhaps I, I think we're luckily at an inflection point of AI that it's not quite at the stage where it can do somebody, that. Somebody, somebody's going to try. But, somebody's going to yeah. try to like just run with an AI written script for something. One hundred percent, somebody's yeah. going to do that. Yeah, one hundred percent. With or without the strike, they would be yes. doing that. Yes. And I think that this yeah. is only going to is only only, only going to up but the ante. Uh, I mean, here's the thing: like you, it, it is definitely a possibility, Jeff. But I also think like, what else can you do? as a writer like what is I your power and agreed yeah and now is, now is, is the time right because yeah, like you said dave it. it is we aren't there quite yet 
we're on the precipice of that. So this is mm -hmm. the time to take a stand and say, we can't let this happen. Say no. I yeah. think back to Jet Li, and we've talked about this before, but he was, you know, he they were wanted him for the Matrix sequels, and he was like, I don't want them capturing, you know, my movements and what I do to yeah. use re later in, like, computer-generated form for video games or whatever. He didn't want his stuff to be captured. And now it's like, we're, we're the, everyone's going to be facing it. It's writers, it's everyone's actors eventually, too. Yeah. Right? The, oh, this, yes. this strike, in my opinion, feels very different than mm -hmm. the last strike. Um, I think... To me, it feels like there's a lot more support for the writers this time around, and it also feels like a lot of people see the writers' struggle as our broader societal struggle. That's, yes. my, that's my sense. Mm -hmm. um, Hamilton Nolan had a great piece at The Guardian about this, um, and he writes, quote, What makes this strike notable is that the WGA is one of a relatively small number of unions in America that actually has power at an industrial scale. With few exceptions, if you are a working screenwriter, you are in the Writers Guild. If studios want people to write their movies and shows, those people will be members of the union. Unlike in most industries where union members make up a minority of member of the workers, in screenwriting, the workforce is the union, period. That sets up a balance of power between labor and capital that is rare in this country. End quote. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it kind of makes yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Proves the power of unions, right? Yes. Yeah. This is this is there's no scab labor here, uh, other than robots, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Um so I, I'm I'm a big advocate of unionization, and and I think that unfortunately, uh, one of the unions I'm a part of, the Screen Actors Union, Screen Actors Guild, is uh, not that right. It is very weak as a union because mm -hmm. of how many people are willing to work non-union and how how easy it is to get good talent that isn't union talent. And so you have seen it completely. Uh, neutered, <laughs> quite, quite frankly, and uh, I think that the the anyway, this isn't about the about SAG, but mm -hmm. I think it is a good contrast to show when you have this kind of concentrated workforce and they're all unionized and they're all on the same page. No pun intended. Uh, this you can actually exert change, and I think um, exert force and and you know enact change, and I yeah. think that. I, I hope that that happens, but I do think this is going to be long yep. and it's going to be damaging. It's yep. going to be, it's going to be dirty. And I think viewers are going to notice everyone, like the whole industry will be rocked like by this, like you're saying, Jeff, but you know what? Yeah. I think it kind of has to happen. Uh, one of my favorite recurring threads is Ed Solomon, the writer of men in black who keeps reminding us, man, this movie's just losing money. The first <laughs> men in black didn't actually make much money. I've not gotten any, he hasn't gotten any money from his, like uh, his points on it and right. it's like it it is ridiculous it's down six million dollars as of 2021 <laughs> that movie was such a failure all those all those junkets all those junkets cost money uh divinger hardware yeah but uh yeah. but yeah uh that's for, hollywood accounting like yeah. just screwing over people at, at any cost and that's that's normal you know that's what they've gotten used to that's not even the ai stuff Further quote, uh, further quoting from this Hamilton Nolan article, they, the writers, are not looking for Shangri-La. Their contract demands are fair pay and health care and a pension, while the companies are trying to take advantage of a changing industry to morph screenwriting into a more part-time, disposable, cheaper form of gig work, end quote. Um, so yeah, we, I mean, it sounds like we all stand with the writers here and we all hope they get the change they want. We've already seen many showrunners um, have said, hey, you know, uh, uh, studios have said, hey, showrunners, you got to do the show running stuff. That's not yeah, writing. Yeah. You still have to do it. You're on the hook for that. You know, Disney sent out a very strongly yep. worded email uh, about it. And uh, many showrunners have said there is no show running work that is not writing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the Duffer Brothers, notably, have shut down production on the newest season of Stranger Things. That is a big deal because that's one of Netflix's biggest hits. And them shutting down production gives cover to other less, you know, smaller, less big deal writers, uh, less, you know, showrunners that don't have as much power to also shut down. Um, we've already seen all late night shows go off the air as well. And so, yeah, it's going to impact production timelines. Um, and there's going to be all these other downstream impacts like awards. You know, we just saw um, Drew Barrymore, I think, pulled out of hosting the MTV Movie Awards and uh, award season is going to be impacted. And that means like caterers and hairdressers and like makeup people are all going to be. It's just it's going to be. It's going to really rock the foundation of the industry, I think. But mm-hmm. I think, again, we all we all support the writers. We all support them getting what they want um, and, and having like reasonable working conditions under which to create the work that we all enjoy and talk about here. On yeah. The yeah. There's nothing without the writing. Yeah. So that, that's it. Well, the, I, 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 I agree with that 100 percent, obviously. But it but it it also shows how interlocked all of it is. Right. Yeah. Anyone you take out any one piece and and that's what I was kind of referring to when I was saying, you know, in what is it, whatever it was, 2007, the, the last rider strike being in Los Angeles, it was, I mean, the entire city was shut down. It was yeah. ridiculous. It was, it, people were desperate and, and rightfully so, because it just, nothing was happening. You know, nothing, the entire, an entire city built on, you know, pretty much one industry, not having that industry working it was a big, big deal. I mean, it's it, yeah. a, a more recent comparable, I guess, is COVID, right? Is when things are just mm-hmm. totally, totally, you know, taken off the rails. It's also, it's putting things in a weird light too, because there's, um yeah, we, uh, there was reporting about that Disney memo saying showrunners still have to keep show running. So, and or season two is still being filmed. And that is kind of ironic for a show like whose first season was very much like anti-capitalist. Yeah, it's yeah, pretty ironic, pretty ironic there. But yeah, uh, it's rough. And the thing, the thing that's also interesting, Jeff, to follow into what you said is, is this feel like this feels like a more intense and protracted battle than what the last one was, right? Like the last one lasted a long time. Yeah, I think it was like a hundred days, if I recall correctly, something like that. Anyway. Adam Conover has been doing a lot of press about this. He's, I think he's a, uh, he's part of the bargaining committee with the WGA. He tweeted out very transparently what the writers are asking for and what the AMPTP uh, is offering um, in response to the proposals. Uh, and the, the one telling piece here that I thought was really, really damning and upsetting is under artificial intelligence, the writers are asking for the following. Regulate use of artificial intelligence on uh, minimum business agreement cover projects. AI can't write or rewrite literary material. It can't be used as source material. And uh, minimum business agreement cover material can't be used to train AI. That's their request. Okay. The the counteroffer is annual meetings to discuss advancements in technology. (laughs) Right? Yeah. That's That's not even close to what the writers are asking for. It's not even it's not even like, oh, I can see how they would come to a compromise. It's like there's not even they're not even in the same ballpark. And, and to so re- to reiterate the point, the studios have nothing without the writers. Like that that is what's most damning yeah. to me, right? Yeah. It's like it it all these billion dollar franchises and everything, it is the writing, you know, that really gets it going. Yeah. Sometimes good direction can can maybe help save a bad script, but that's rare. That is so rare. 
Yeah, everything starts with a script. So, yeah. Well, uh, you know, unless and, it's reality and, television, but hey, writing happens in reality television. There is writing well, there. 100% you know? it so, does. Anyway, 100% yeah. it does. Go ahead, Jeff. What are you going to say? The, you know, it should sort of pull back even and take a more macro view of, of all this. The, the unions as a whole, you know, and, and smaller unions like the, the Writers Guild are, are more nimble and able to respond to things and, and more powerful, as we've noted. But the unions in general have been, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever it was, were, were very slow to recognize and, um, and act on the fact that streaming was a thing. They, they <laughs> capitulated on a lot of uh, things. Basically, all the studios went, hey, that's the internet. It's so different. It has nothing to do with the way we've made shows in the past. And so all bets are off. All the deals that we made about how you put shows on television mm-hmm, mm-hmm. don't apply because this is this no one's going to internet on their internet TVs, thing. you know it's yeah. like a, it's like it's just youtube it's it's not there's just some streaming it's not a thing and then of course during that period streaming became the way for people to see these huge hit shows like stranger things and all of the unions were caught flat-footed and completely uh, did a disservice to their members because people weren't getting compensated the way they they had been, and that didn't stop all these companies from you know having huge hits and doing all the things that you would normally do if you were making television shows. They just weren't compensating the people in the same way. And so I I really am applauding the Writers Guild for being out in front this time. It feels like much more uh, forward thinking than most yes. of the unions have been in the past, and and going, hey, we have to address this now. And to your point, Dave, what the, what they're returning with is this isn't even an issue now. We can't even make shows with robots. Don't even worry about. We'll have meetings <laughs> right? later. Yeah. And it's like, hey, we have an actual use case. We have an actual uh, example to show you of when you were like, ah, streaming isn't even a thing. Don't worry about it now. We'll worry about it when it's a thing. <laughs> but when it's a thing, it's too late because then you already have established practices and you're screwed. So yeah. this is the time for them to start talking about that stuff. And yeah, here, here are some of the requests they've made. Uh, viewership-based stre- streaming residuals. This is a request from the writers. Uh, establish a viewership-based residual in addition to existing fixed residual to reward programs with greater viewership. Require transparency regarding program views. That's uh, pretty reasonable. Hey, if you make a show and it gets millions of views, you want to know how many millions of people are watching it. Also, mm-hmm. get paid if the show is watched by more people. Uh, the response from the AMPTP uh, rejected the proposal, refused to make a counter. That's that's the that's the counter offer. Um, same thing for ad supported free streaming services. So it's like, yeah, uh, I, I agreed with everything you guys have said. I think this is going to be a long drawn out battle, but I agree that these do seem like really reasonable requests, uh, and I hope the writers prevail. And I think largely they will based on mm-hmm. what we're seeing so far. Well, if you so, remember the last time, I mean, movies started getting made based on scripts that had been sitting on a shelf for yeah. a long time. Uh, yeah. it, really weird stuff started happening. And I think we're going to see that again. Yeah, TV, TV seasons got cut short. You know, that's another thing that happened last time. Bre- Breaking Bad got cut short and uh, and Heroes season two got cut short and so on and so forth. So it's like, yeah, uh, we're, we're going to see media get real weird. That said... Just as the writers are better prepared this time, I think the studios are a little bit better prepared too. There's a bigger pipeline of stuff they have, uh, pipeline of scripts, pipeline of finished material. So it's, it's going to last a while, man, and it's going to suck. So it's going to suck. But it we stand with the suck. writers, 
and we wish them all the best. Um, we think it's important for people who are creating art uh, that you get compensated fairly and have a decent lifestyle uh, because I think that makes for better art in general. So, all right. Well, those are some thoughts on the writer's strike. We're going to take a break and we'll be back with more uh, film cast right after this, including what we've been watching. This episode of the film cast is sponsored by better help. Are you one of those people like my wife who thinks about everybody else first and thinks about themselves last? I think it's a wonderful quality. It's a lovely quality, but sometimes you got to spend time on yourself. You have to put yourself first sometimes. How much time do you spend in a given week on yourself compared to how much time you spend on other people? It's so easy to get caught up on what everyone else needs from you and never take a moment to think about what you need from yourself. You know, those of us that have children and families that depend on us, you know, this is, this is something that happens a lot is that you get focused on what other people need and you don't take time for yourself. Therapy can give you the tools that you need to find more balance in your life so that you can keep supporting others, keep being a good spouse or parent, but without leaving yourself behind. I certainly have benefited from therapy and continue to do so. And if you think starting therapy might be right for you, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can always switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash filmcast today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash filmcast. All right, folks, let's get to what we've been watching. Uh, let's talk about some stuff I've been watching. I had a chance to see How to Blow Up a Pipeline. This movie was in theaters for a few weeks uh, and then is now on video on demand, which is how I watched it. And this movie is great, guys. I mean, here's the thing. It is basically a heist movie. Mm -hmm. Are you guys, what do you guys think of heist movies? I, I am Love a heist. sucker. L Love I am a sucker for heist movies. Love like, them, except Rick and Morty kind of ruined them. Exactly. So, couldn't, yeah. couldn't be bothered to watch Kaleidoscope, though, Dave. Just, just wanted to throw that in. <laughs> Rick, Rick and Morty basically Love, made Love a heist, the, though. Yeah. Rick and Morty basically made the walk hard of <laughs> yes. heist movie dissections. And um, the people who made Rick and Morty were like, heist movies kind of suck. Because they use the same tropes all the time. You're putting together the crew, and then you describe what you're going to do, and then something goes wrong, but maybe it was part of the plan for it to go wrong. You know, like, all heist movies are, are structured the same way, and how to blow up a pipeline is no different. Uh, but what does make it different is obviously it has a very uh, progressive point of view when it comes to the environment. It is one of those movies where uh, if you try to find out more information about it, you get put on a government watch list. And I got to admire that. I'm amazed this movie. movie got made, to be honest. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, a, a lot of people have said that when they finished watching this movie, they felt like they knew, they, they had a better understanding of how to actually blow up a pipeline in real life. And that's been one of the big criticisms <laughs> of the movie is, like, it focuses so much on the process that the characters mm -hmm. kind of get lost a little bit. Like It's like a YouTube video stepping you through. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in this, many ways. This is what we're doing. In many yeah. ways. The in title many ways. 
is how to. Yeah, how to. It's not watch <laughs> these people. <laughs> and I think the movie in in large part delivers on that. I thought. You know, it gives you a little bit of glimpse into the people's lives and like how these people all came together to do the thing that they're trying to do. Uh, and I think that's enough. I thought the mm-hmm, movie is really mm-hmm. well done. It has an amazing score. It feels very heavily inspired by like scores from Michael Mann's Heat. You know, very like propulsive score that makes you want to know what's coming up next. Uh, and I love the message of the movie, which is that when the system leaves people in the system with no options to change it, they will resort to options outside the system. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's a great movie. Very enjoyable. I can't uh, wait to see it. Would this, recommend yeah. it to anyone. Uh, it's How to Blow Up a Pipeline. It's available on video demand right now. Um, it's a great time, except for the fact that the uh, subject matter is extremely upsetting. You know, people don't um, decide they want to blow up a pipeline because everything in their life is going awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, like, or, or they, they feel like they have other options, right? Yeah. And uh, it, it, I'm sure it like ties to what is happening right now. Like the Dakota Access Pipeline has been a long, long running fight, you know. So, yeah, yeah, easy to tie it together. That is one thing I've been watching. Devendra, hit us up with something you've been watching. Sure, I've been checking out a new show on Peacock called Bubkiss. Have you guys heard of Bubkiss? It's a new. Peacock. Yeah, I watched the I first have. episode. It's uh, this is a lot of fun, but. It is funny that we we are just coming off of the Apatow movie, which was about Pete Davidson's life. Now uh, we're this is a show about Pete Davidson's life, basically. Um, it's it's starring Pete Davidson as himself and a whole like a, a really nice collection of supporting actors, including Edie Falco playing his mom, Joe Pesci as his grandfather. Joe Pesci's incredible in the show, guys. Um, but it is sort of like Pete Davidson now, you know, being a famous comedian guy that uh, people like to hate on online. And it's sort of like a self-reflexive look at his fame and issues he's going through. Um, the show is great. And I'll say this because I'm not I'm not the biggest Pete Davidson fan in the world. You know, I think he's fine. I think he's fine on some SNL stuff. Um, certainly, I am among the confused crowds. Like, why are these supermodels? Why, why is everybody throwing themselves at Pete Davidson? That is a mystery of reality that I still cannot uh, unlock, but more power to him, you know? I don't, I don't blame him for playing that game. Um, the show's really funny, and every episode does something really funny and unique and interesting. I mean, just even the opening scene of this, which I will not spoil, but it's pretty memorable. And probably one of <laughs> yeah. those things I, th- I feel like uh, every every boy fears in their lives at some point. Um, this show is just really, really good. And I think I think it's like it taps into the issues he's going through, but it also like, you know, covers like his the, the character of his mother. And Edie Falco is incredible here. But as somebody who lost her, you know, her husband during 9-11 and is now dealing with his son, who is very famous, but also, you know, one episode just deals with a, a, a notification that Pete Davidson has died. And imagine being the parent of a very famous person, you know, to be like, well, that is probably how I'll find out someday, right? Like when something bad happens, it's TMZ who will tell me and not not the police or anything. And I think it's just really well done. It also shows like the sheer goddamn power that Pete Davidson has now, like because everybody's in the show. Ray Romano pops up. Brad, Car- Brad Garrett is a recurring character in the show. Al Gore is here. Jon Stewart is here. Just everybody loves Pete Davidson. I still remain confused, but the show is very good. It's worth checking out. It's Bubkiss on Peacock. He's the voice of a generation. He is. Yeah, I mean, 
when I watch King of Staten Island, I'm like, this is as much about Pete Davidson's life as I care to this know. This is much better than King of Staten Island. Oh, okay. It is j- actually right. funny and inventive and fun. Like, yeah. I, I don't remember much about that movie, um, but this one, yeah, that, like that this, I'd recommend. came out during COVID. Yeah. We watched it. I think we reviewed it. Um, yeah. It was simul, simul release uh, because theaters were closed at the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, Jeff, you know, did you have positive thoughts on Bupkis so far? I saw the first episode. I don't think I'm as high on it as Devendra is. I thought there was some clever, fun stuff. Um, just just being able to watch Pesci alone is worth Pesci your, your is so time. good. He is he's, just like owning it. He's full Pesci. Man. Like he's full, like, you know, <laughs> dropping the, <laughs> dropping the, the cocksuckers here. And the, the, you know, he's just, he's just going, going full but as a grandpa and giving grandpa advice too. So yeah, it, yeah. It, there's a lot of things smashing together. That's really unique there. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm going to stick with it, to be honest with you. Um, I would rec- give it two more episodes, Jeff. Right. The, the Bobby Cannavale one is next and he, he is very good. It, it is. I think the first episode, like a lot of these comedies has to shock you, right? It has to be like, Hey, I'm different somehow. And even the very first scene does that. Uh, do not watch that scene with your parents, folks. Just, yeah, not, uh, not one to watch tip. with your parents. Although pro it is tip. a good ad for VR. It is. It is. I don't, <laughs> is it? I don't know about that. The, the, the Pesci thing is really interesting to me. I mean, Pesci has not yeah. acted in many things. Yes. I, I think by choice. This reminds um, me of oh, how much I miss Joe Pesci. Basically. Right. I mean, he, he basically didn't act in many things for the entire aughts. Mm-hmm. Um, resurfaced in 2019 with The Irishman, where he was awesome in that movie. Uh, and so the fact that Joe Pesci like thought this was worth kind of coming out of quasi-retirement for... Yeah. Uh, the sheer supporting treat- talent alone yeah. is a reason to keep watching. I don't know why Edie Falca yeah. said yes to this either, to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's a, you would think it is a you know below her, yeah. but then you later would. on, but then, then you realize then. she appeared in Avatar: The Way of Water, and it's like, oh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, say nothing yeah for that. Avatar catching strays today. Okay, <laughs> anyway, that's Bupkiss. It's on Peacock, and uh, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll check it out. Uh, that's something Devinder's been watching. Jeff, hit us up with something you've been watching. The theme of my what I've been watching uh, list this week is. Weird, <laughs> but delightful. Um, I have watched all the episodes that are currently available of the new HBO. Uh, no, what? Max. It's Max. Max. Max animated series, Fired on Mars. Have either of you checked this out? No, I keep seeing the uh, the title. It's uh, like, Luke Wilson my animated series, right? Yeah. Well, he plays the main character. Yeah. That's correct. Yes. Uh, animated series. Highest possible recommendation, boys. Wow. Highest possible nice. wow. recommendation. There is nothing else like this show. It, it's got some... I, I was talking to a friend of the show, Danish Syed, about this because he also loves it. Um, he was saying, you know, it's got some like BoJack vibes. It's got some, you know, I guess in that it's animated and irreverent and super smart and weird, but there's nothing like Fired on Mars. There's nothing like it. Um, so the premise such as it is, is that in near future, there's a colony on Mars and this guy, uh, Luke Wilson's character, uh, gets hired to be a graphic designer on Mars. So the way that works is you get a one-way ticket to Mars. You're going to die on Mars. Uh, there's no going back to earth when you get hired to live on Mars, you leave earth and you live on Mars and he's a graphic designer, but when he arrives, they fire him. So he loses his job. So there's literally no reason for him to be there. 
And, you know, the corporation that runs Mars takes care of everything in your life. So your job is everything because you're employed by the company. They handle your food and your entertainment and everything. So now that he is not, <laughs> not have a job, he is no, there's nothing for him to do on Mars and he can't go back to earth. He left his girlfriend every time he FaceTimes with her on earth. There's like a super handsome guy in the background for no reason. Like his life's not good. That's the premise. The show takes that moment and just spins it wildly. I'm telling you guys, by the end of episode one, you're like, what is this? And episode two, episode three, I mean, I think I'm, I've watched five or six of them now. There's nothing like this show. It is so bonkers. And it goes places that, I mean, it is wildly funny. Very dark, very dark humor. I mean, uh, <laughs> I want to spoil things, but I'm not going to. I, I, there's certain moments I want to bring up specifically, but I mean, it is so funny and so unique and, and it just constantly surprises you. And there's weird characters and crazy stuff that happens. And it just keeps getting farther and farther afield from where it started. I think very highly of the show fired on Mars. No one is talking about it that I know of that I've heard of, but everyone should be because it's just so inventive and so mm. wacky and so outside the box. It's really cool. Awesome. It looked a little bit intriguing to me, but I will check it out. Jeff fired on Mars on HBO max, I believe is where it's streaming. Right? Yeah, but isn't it just max now? Not yet. Uh, and end of May two yeah. weeks. All right. Yeah. Well, it's HBO max, ladies and gentlemen, for mm -hmm. the two weeks. I'm going to be kind of curious about all the people who freak out that their HBO Max has become just Max <laughs> and how confused they are. It's uh, got to be the stupidest decision. Yeah. For no reason. Oh, I, I don't think you were here when we talked about it, Jeff. No, uh, I don't think I was. Yeah, um, Seems like a there, really there dumb reasons. idea. There are reasons. Yeah, there, there but, are reasons. Yeah. I don't know that they're going to be know they're effective, good. but but they had a, they, they, the logic is they've gone as far as they can go with the HBO Max name. They're like... Yeah, they're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. There's so a lot of people... There's a, there's a bunch of people... That won't subscribe to a thing that yes. has HBO. You, you will not set your kid in front of a thing called yeah. HBO Max and put them on the kids' account because you're like, that's some weird HBO shit. Yes. So you need to like rebrand as a general audience thing, and that's what they're doing because they need to fight Disney Plus. So yeah. I wrote a whole yeah. piece. Yeah. yeah. So definitely yeah. reference the Cinemax more. That's smart. Nobody remembers Cinemax. <laughs> like that's dead. Nobody, that's nobody dead. remembers Cinemax anyway. Yeah. Okay. Well, I remember um, it. <laughs> I want to mention a movie real quick called Ghosted. And the reason I want to talk about this is because mm -hmm. uh, I was listening to another uh, very fun movie podcast called uh, Critically Acclaimed. And they were talking about how there's a new kind of movie called the Red Notice movie, I think is yeah. the, the category they used. The garbage um, algorithm streaming movie? Yeah. This is also written about over at BBC.com by Nicholas Barber. Mm. And... Nicholas Barber describes it this way. Um, these movies, so uh, he's talking about these movies are um, direct to streaming movies that might keep us on the sofa and away from the remote control, but that doesn't mean they're any good. <laughs> what it means, in fact, is that they are the screen equivalent of junk food, easy to consume after a hard day's work, but not exactly nourishing. As well as ghosted, some notorious examples of such eyeball fodder are Shotgun Wedding, and several violent Netflix capers, including mm -hmm. Red Notice with Dwayne Johnson uh, and Murder Mystery 1 and 2 with Adam Sandler and Jennifer Anderson. In each case, the filmmakers followed the same recipe, 
Take two or three attractive stars who may or may not have any chemistry. Put them in a couple of sunny, scenic locations, whether or not those locations make any sense in terms of the plotting. Sprinkle with stunts and explosions. Keep the tone light and quippy. And top it all off with a simple, catchy title, end quote. Yeah. Algorithmically generated, basically. Yeah. This is not a new phenomenon, guys. I, I guarantee you, it's if not, you looked in the annals of, yes, yes. you know, uh, of um, Siskel and Ebert, they wouldn't make the exact same. They would say, the movies these days in 1982, you know, you just take two attractive stars and you put them in a th- f- fun place. And it's it's the movie I, I equivalent the thing, of junk food. I think the thing, Jeff, all the is same stuff would be said. so quickly now, right? Like there have always been like James Bond knockoffs or something. Like you, you make a thing like the thing that's popular. That's easy. Um, I feel like we are, I'm, I'm seeing the seams of the algorithm right now, right? I'm see, I'm seeing the code that's keeping us in this trap of bad uh, media. So I, it doesn't matter if it's a new thing or not. I just think it's a thing that's happening and it's worth, I think it, it's funny to point it out now, especially with Ghosted from a director I like, you know? It's weird. Yeah, Dexter, Dexter Fletcher. Fletcher. Dexter Fletcher. I mean, Rocket so, Man, Eddie the Eagle. Good yeah, stuff. Jeff, Jeff, I take I take your criticism that it's like this is a phenomenal. It's bad movies have been around for a while. Yeah, I think what makes them somewhat notable is obviously first of all, streaming companies are making them. So it's like uh, th- that's that's not a thing that they've t- typically like in Apple TV Plus they have associated themselves with like you know more high quality prestige stuff, and now they're getting into more ghosted type stuff. Um, and uh, the other thing is, like, some of the budgets for these movies are pretty massive. I would say, like, mm-hmm, Red mm-hmm. Notice, I think, costs like $200 million, you know? A so James Bond knockoff would not cost that much. You yeah. Know? Correct. Those were cheap in the movies. Past, in the past, yeah. right. So, so there, I would say, Jeff, that there, and, and then as the finger points out, like, the speed and predictability at which they're, like, uh, cranking these out um, and promoting them uh, may, may or may not be notable as well. So, anyway, it, you're, you're right, Jeff. There have always been kind of terrible, soulless movies. Um, but... I don't know. Maybe you, 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 do you think that there's any difference at all in the current crop? You know, like anything worth noting? I'm, I'm trying to point out why this current I crop think, featuring ghosts might be different. I think it feels new because it's these streaming services that have sort of made their hay on being above that. And now they're doing yeah. it, but you know, it, it was ever thus there, there are, there are good movies and, you know, artistic integrity movies and there are cash grabs and, frivolous popcorn junk and so it has ever been you know it's it's just the way of the the way of the market is and i i just think well i'm sorry go ahead go ahead jeff finish what you're saying yeah i i think you could look at literally any year of movie releases and you would pick out the ones that fall in this category just like now i think that they're just we just see them on our streaming services and it feels more offensive because our streaming services have been a a bastion of this high quality bar. I, th- well, I think the the budget let me put this is out. one thing. Let me put this out. Mm-hmm. Let me put this out there. Those movies aren't coming out in theaters anymore, Jeff. Yes, you know that's another that's another thing. Is like you you're not seeing a ghosted release in movie because it is a mid budget movie. It made it cost around like forty million dollars to make. They movie studios in general don't release those movies in theaters anymore. So that's another thing worth pointing out. Is yes, mm-hmm. they always made these movies. Those movies don't come out in theaters anymore. Well, now you're lamenting the fact that we don't get the crap that you don't want. Yeah, why can't theater? we get the crap in the get movie the theaters where they belong? No, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not lamenting anything, Jeff. I'm pointing out a phenomenon, you know, yeah. like, which is, no, that, it, I, guess, I, I guess those movies have come home. That's the, that's the phenomenon <laughs> I'm pointing out. But okay, those sure. movies also didn't used to star the biggest stars in the world, mm, too. Okay. Like, there, is, there is a distinct difference here. I, think, I don't know. I think you could find the biggest stars in the world making schlock 
forever. This isn't just schlock. It is a very specific type of like program schlock that just feels very transparent to me. But, you know, yeah, bad movies always existed. That's true. Uh, yeah, but I think that, you know, I'm just I'm just trying to like because I, I have great sympathy with what Jeff is saying. And I'm trying to think mm-hmm. I'm trying to question my biases and think like, hey, is there something specifically soulless about a movie like Ghosted or was it always this? Soulless well, I, I think I think like Red Notice is the bigger example. It's like, hey, you like these people. You have seen <laughs> these specific people in movies before doing the exact goddamn same things. Here, let's watch it again, you know, on Netflix, and let's give them, let's make it cost $200 million for no reason. Yeah. And also make it be very boring and bad, too. So maybe there is no difference, Jeff. Maybe there is no difference, but it does, I don't know. It does feel like there's a specific flavor. And, you know, maybe if uh, 15 more of these movies come out on streaming and not in theaters, uh, we can call it a trend. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that. The, the I'm, I'm struggling to come up with uh, examples from history, but I think that's because these movies are inherently forgettable. You know, you don't, they, they don't stand <laughs> out, you know, and you, mm-hmm. but I think there's been always been movies where the movie star makes a piece of turd and everyone forgets about it, but it makes a gob of money. And it, it, it you know, I just think that's been always been a thing, but maybe I'm minimizing it unfairly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess um, it just, it, it, I don't know. And P- uh, they're not we, making these movies to make money. It's the thing. It's <laughs> to retain subscribers. Like nothing. It, it it's all just so topsy turvy. Like to me, yeah. That's just semantics, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's how they make money is is retaining subscribers, right? That it's still there to make money. It's not. Yeah, but I think I of. think that uh, typically, right? For in the olden days, Jeff, right? Mm-hmm. Typically, there'd be some kind of vision, uh, like a creative vision as to why like somebody wants this to exist. O- oftentimes, not all the time, not all the time, but oftentimes. Anyway, yeah. okay. Um, Maybe a Gremlins two for this era, basically to break down what's happening with streaming movies. Yeah. Of all the movies I have seen, Ghosted is one of them. That's all. Yeah. That's kind of what I wanted to point out. So, um, it's it's not terribly good. It kind of falls into this category. But hey, if that's what you're looking for, uh, then I don't think you're going to have an awful time. And there's some pretty amazing cameos in the movie. So that's Ghosted on Apple TV Plus. And uh, some thoughts on whether or not it represents a trend or whether it has always has been. Okay, Devinder Hardwar, uh, hit us up with something you've been watching. Oh, I want to quickly shout out the second season of one of my favorite Star Wars things that uh, came out a couple of years ago. Uh, the second season of Star Wars Visions is out now. It came out last week. And this is a series of, um, I'm not even sure how many episodes, I think eight episodes, uh, nine episodes, all different shorts animated by different studios telling um, you know, wildly different sorts of stories within the Star Wars universe. And I really love the first season. And this one, again, is just a lot of fun and really interesting um especially for fans of animation you know there, there's all sorts of interesting stuff happening here um the second episode uh screechers reach is by cartoon saloon and they did wolf walkers um and secret of the kells like they're an irish animation studio all these things look and feel different and show off the different types of animation out there also tell very different sorts of stories within within the star wars universe too because like the sith play a really interesting part in in all of these films to be in all a lot of these shorts and it is pushing star wars in new and interesting ways i'm not sure like how canon any of these are um wedge antilles actually pops up in one of them and it's all centered around him i believe um but they're all really unique and interesting i've seen about four of them at this point uh the first one sith is also really interesting and told in like a very 
just fascinating impressionistic style um, from the studio uh, El Guiri. Um, it is CG animated, but it's also like watercolor backgrounds and just like really, really cool looking stuff. And um, what was the other one? The other one I saw was Journey to the Dark Head, which was directed um, or animated by Studio Mir. Studio Mir used to work on Legend of Korra and I think is the most like anime like of all the ones in this episode or in the season. And I think it's just really, really cool and really well done. So if you like your Star Wars stuff and you don't want to like deal with the uh, years, the over a decade long mythology you have to deal with to watch the Clone Wars show or something or any of the other shows. If you just want to like a quick 20 minute hit of Star Wars, uh, Star Wars Visions will fill that gap. It's really good. It's, it's an anthology show, right? Like every it's an episode, anthology yeah, show. Every episode yeah. you can just kind of do a one off. Yeah. Yes. But, uh, Star Wars Vision season two on Disney Plus right now. We're checking out. Jeff Kanata, something you've been watching? Well, I I checked out uh, the new uh, Peacock show, Mrs. Davis, nice. uh, which I believe, you know, uh, I know Devinder talked about uh, mm-hmm. the week that I was overseas, uh, yes. on, not on the show. So I haven't, I have not heard what you think of it, Devinder, although you exclaiming that makes, gives me some <laughs> I sense. I am exclaiming that. Also, uh, Jeff, if only there was the technology for you to hear that episode. <laughs> Yeah. If only. If only, if only. existed. Yeah. If no, only there's point. a way to good archive point. MP3 files and have them delivered to you Are on demand. I don't. <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have also seen. I am completely caught up with Mrs. Davis as well. Nice. Oh, okay. But yeah. So I am not. I've only watched the first two episodes. Oh yeah. It gets weirder, Jeff. Don't it worry. Gets weirder. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um. I don't know what to make of the show yet. I'm intrigued. I, I want to like it. So far, I do not. Uh, I want mm-hmm. to like it. I, I respect any show that is this bold and this bizarre. Uh, like I just got done ta- you know, raving about Fired on Mars, which is bold and bizarre. I want to love shows that are bold and bizarre and that respect the viewer enough to keep them in the dark about what is really going on. Uh, not in a... Not in a lost way, you know, not in a uh, mm-hmm. what's really what's the real secret puzzle box way, but in a fundamental like, what is this show about? <laughs> you know, uh, which uh, at least for the first two episodes, Mrs. Davis is I I understand a basic premise, but it is it feels to me. And again, I'm speaking from ignorance uh, compared to you guys who have seen more episodes than I. It seems to me that this is um, one of those situations where it's the creators didn't weren't content on making one big idea that there is one big idea, but also mm-hmm. a lot of ancillary smaller ideas. How about all the ideas, Jeff? It does have a lot of ideas. Soup. It might yeah. have too many ideas is what I'm saying, guys. Uh-huh. Uh, for me, I, I think there is a big, cool sci fi concept at the heart of the show. And I don't know if I should even explain what that is or not. I think you can. Like, that, that is the pitch of the ads and everything. Okay. AI so the, has kind of like, yeah. The notion is that thing. there is a, a, an algorithm, a big AI, that uh, everyone trusts and has our best interests at heart, ostensibly. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh, people, you know, and, and it knows everything, has access to all information, and can tell you how to live your best life. And so people trust it to do that. And it, therefore, can manipulate events to create whatever it wants. It can, because people trust it and will do whatever it asks them to do, it can use humans as pawns and create elaborate 
justifications for any one person to do any one thing it wants. That's a really cool idea. A really, really cool idea. And I am super into that notion. And it, um, it feels like it could be a Matrix sequel, you know? Yeah. Uh, it really does. On top of that, though, there's a lot of other weird ideas that I feel like at least you up to this. You don't even know, Jeff. You don't even know well, what's going to happen next. Up to this yeah. point, it feels like it muddies the waters for me. <laughs> the first episode is truly a remarkable viewing experience, I will say. The, the pilot episode for Mrs. Davis, each scene bears almost no relation to the next scene. <laughs> the scene that follows it is a, like from a completely different movie. Mm -hmm. over and over and over again until you get to the end. It starts with this wild action, violent action thing. It gets, it, it, now we're in a nunnery. Now we're, you know, it, there's weird a guy on an island. Yeah. It, it, it's so many different things in one episode and none of them seem to be even remotely related. There is some clarity that, you know, forms in the second episode, but I, I'm, I'm coming to you fellows and asking if I should stick with this because I, I will say to you, yeah, go ahead. I kind of feel like it's, it's too much and meandering and I, I don't have a lot of confidence that mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. is anything. So my, my main advice for the show is accept the mystery. Just, just go for the ride. But the opening of my engadget review is basically, this is a deeply silly show, deeply committed to its silliness. And that's what makes it good. Well, there, there's a yeah. line in episode two where one of the characters literally says out, out loud, oh, it gets way stupider from here. Oh, yeah. yeah and I was like, does. that's a that's speaking to the audience. <laughs> so Demetri, have, you, have you seen yeah. the whole show? I haven't seen. I'm, I'm like mm, six or seven episodes in. I actually I have screeners for it. Too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All, I was going to shout to everybody. Um, um, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, Jeff. Um, I will say, you know, I'm I'm discussing this over at Decoding TV. This is a very divisive show. Yeah, um, had, I had think few, intentionally so. Had a few mm -hmm, people write mm -hmm. in and say, "Big fan of like Damon Lindelof, The Leftovers." This is one of the worst shows I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, you know, too, too um, much. I say everybody who thinks that is wrong. I don't typically <laughs> say that about TV shows, but I, uh, that's it. That's I it. don't agree with Devendra saying that. I think that like I'm joking. It, it is a very, this, this is a show that exists to I, just like yeah. I understand why. I understand why. Yeah, it's goofy, but it, like that's that doesn't even describe it. Like I understand why it is actively off putting to people because, in mm -hmm. my opinion, people in the show do not behave and react like human beings. Like that's that's kind of yes one of the challenges yes. I have with the show is is. Um, you know, let's just take the basic premise of uh, the AI is controlling everything. Wow, that would dramatically reshape society. I would hope to find out how, mm -hmm. in what ways. Um, yeah, but yeah. you're SOL if that's kind of what you're hoping. You know, like yeah. there's so many premises that are just it doesn't feel like any kind of reality that that we can recognize. Um, and so I think the show is very frustrating, but two things number one betty gilpin is awesome mm -hmm. uh and she keeps me coming back because just just her kind of befuddled reactions to everything that's happening i find really enjoyable i i um, actually strongly disagree with that okay I, all right no i you know i i always refrain from being personal when it comes to performances uh, and and i i do think she is a very talented actress i think some of her choices like there is a level of sort of anxiety and 
um, discomfort that she always has in the show that seeps into me as a viewer and makes me uncomfortable watching the show. Hmm. That's and that's huh. very personal okay. for me. You know, your mileage may vary, but I, yeah. I, I, I spent a lot of time reflecting on why I was so, it just didn't ever feel There's still good. a lot you don't know about that character, Jeff. So there, there are things okay. that upon seeing into episode three and four that kind of uh, inform like why she may be acting or doing the things she's doing in the first few episodes. But I will say, if you're not enjoying her performance, then yeah, just tap uh, out. She, she's That's like it. in virtually every scene of every no, episode. I'm aware of that. Yeah. 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 And, so, it, I'm, but, and I'm trying to articulate what it was for me that I've never really experienced in other, any other show where the, mm-hmm. the main character who, as you say, is in nearly every scene makes me uncomfortable it makes me maybe that's the wrong word but may like their discomfort i'm feeling vicariously mm. right i am experiencing their discomfort in a way that is not pleasurable to me that is that makes every scene feel a, a little icky and i've never really experienced that before it's a strange thing she's just yeah, always sort of like frowning and unhappy and uncomfortable and i get it that's motivated and i think these are strong performance choices but for yep. some reason for me it it's off. There, there is a reason for a lot of the things she is doing. Um, I will also say, like, I, I understand the show's not for everybody. I think I wrote this much in my review, but it is so wild to have a show like this. It's just like, well, guys, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter if you if you like follow all this or if you're enjoying what we're doing. Like, I think it's for like for a very specific set of people who want to enjoy this weird, just really bonkers ride. You know, like this is a Damon Lindelof show, but he did not show run it. He just kind of hung out like he helped direct the the show writing room. But Tara Hernandez, who comes from Big Bang Theory and Young Sheldon, um, you know, is the showrunner of this thing. And you get the sort of like sitcom energy here. You get like early Coen Brothers energy. So this is just one of those things. It's like the first time I saw Raising Arizona. I was like, this movie is just this movie is just too much. Can't take I can't take this movie. And now it's like <laughs> one of my favorite one of my favorite viewing experiences and something I like to revisit because you got to get on the weird wavelength of this thing of just like a nun on a motorcycle, you know, and exploding horses and um, a, a group of, uh, of people trying to fight the AI led by Chris, Chris Diamantopoulos, who's always shirtless, always shirtless and just doing his thing from Silicon Valley. It is a very specific wavelength and it's not for everybody. So I'll, I, I will say I, that. That's why I said, I, I want to love the show. I, I applaud the big swing of this show and I applaud, I love shows. I mean, there's nothing else like this, right? It is really, Mm -hmm. really in its own, in its own world. But I do, you know, I do compare it to fired on Mars, which is all of those things you just said, you know, is, is really on its own wavelength. It's really bizarre and a wild ride and goofy and weird and yet has a sort of internal logic that is consistent. And right. while yeah. it mm-hmm. while it takes it, it goes spinning off into these crazy directions, everything is sort of motivated and all of the quirk feels like it, it is belongs in the same universe. And I and I I don't have that experience watching Mrs. Davis. Yeah. This, this is all over I, the place. Yeah. I, I will say this. I've read multiple TV critics write about this show. And one thing that they consistently say is you got to make it to the end because it ties everything together beautifully. <laughs> okay. Now that said, it is eight one hour long episodes. And yeah. those episodes are long. Like they are They're not long. like 44 minutes. They are one hour long. So mm-hmm. you have to I decide- would say the deal, the deal breaker is if you don't like Betty Gilpin in the show, then yeah. 
you just, just stop. I would agree. Stop. I would agree. It's not yeah. really worth making the journey, Jeff. If that's if that's where you are. But hey, it sounds like you're you know ref- <laughs> reflecting. There, there's at least one on twist I want to hear your reaction to, Jeff. Like <laughs> three or four episodes into. Um, so you know, well, it, it, a couple more is worth. There's a for. there's a thing that I think is happening uh-huh. as of episode two that I'm like. Um, re- regarding the person she's married to, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, she's married mm-hmm. to somebody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But anyway, uh, I'm I, I am enjoying the show, but I also find it very taxing of my patience. Very like, taxing. I will uh, say, it, it feels like a show made that you would have been like syndicated in the '90s a little bit. Like think like the Sam Raimi shows I talked about uh, during the hmm. Dead review. You know, like Xena and Hercules, like had grand mythologies and big characters and took wild swings, and they were just a lot of fun. To see on TV, I and completely, I yeah, I completely disagree. Like, I, I don't <laughs> think it is. It is those shows are extremely simple to enjoy, and this is not sure, sure. an extremely simple to enjoy show. So, uh, I would actually argue the thing this reminds me most of is Richard Kelly's Southland Tales, um, <laughs> which is like a really but, bizarre, yeah. like dystopian, and yeah, yeah. to many people, is, off-putting, like tonally dissonant. Movie. This is more fun than Southland Tales. Like Southland Tales has funny moments. This is straight up a, a cartoon comedy, you know, for most of the run. So I don't know. It, no. What it really reminds me of, and I'm actually shocked it's not based on one. Is, <laughs> I like how we're naming three vastly yeah, different every, things. Everything. Go ahead. Yeah. Everything. Is, everything. A, is a, you know, a sort of mid-2010s uh, comic book, like mm. uh, a, a mm-hmm. independent label comic book where – Sort of post, you know, uh, postmodern. Uh, oftentimes, you'll find these independent uh, creators, mm-hmm. comic book creators, will do these comics where there's not just one idea; there's forty ideas in yeah. one comic, and that's what it feels like to me. I'm, I was shocked that it wasn't based on one because <laughs> yeah. it, it feels to me like a million of these, you know, indie comics that I that I read in the 2010s that are like, well, you know, they're a, an assassin, but it's not an assassin. They're an assassin on the moon. And the moon is not just the moon. It's it's, it's also, everything. you know, it's, it, it, hat on a hat on a hat. And that's what this feels like to me. This is, There's a lot of preacher in here too, which is also one reason I would have recommended it to you earlier, Jeff. Um, this is a COVID era show too. So Damon Lindelof and Tara Hernandez were like breaking this and working a lot of this uh, remotely too. So I don't know. It's just, I, I like Lindelof. I like him a lot. I actually got to talk to both of them briefly for my Engadget piece. And it is, he is just so amped up about this thing. And she, she seems like she's just tired of him at this point too. She's like Jennifer Lawrence doing interviews with Aronofsky. Um, (laughs) It's kind of, it's kind of like, just get me out of this room. Just get me out of these interviews. Um, But clearly like they were working on this for a while and had some interesting ideas. So I, I am very happy to see a really unique sort of peak TV thing get out there because I don't know. I just like something different. Once yeah, in a while. I, I agree. Yeah. You know, Devendra, even though we've disagreed on virtually every point until this moment, uh-huh. I agree with uh, what you just said, which is that this feels like a historic, this show feels like a historical accident. Like, you know, in two years, they're not going to make a show like the, the yeah, Mrs. Yeah. Davis. You know, well, that's... It, it, it feels like at this time where they had all this money, Peacock was like, we got to get as much programming on here as possible. They were able to make this weird ass show. Um, but yeah, go ahead, Jeff. What were you going to say? I mean, I agree with that too. I think we're all on the same page there. And that's why I keep saying I want to love this show. I just feel like it's unruly. Well, thanks for giving it a shot, Jeff. That's pretty cool. But, uh, Mrs. Davis is on, uh, right now on Peacock and it will air its final two episodes in the next few weeks. Uh, and that is what Jeff Kanata has been watching. Let's take a break for a sponsor. We'll be right back with more of what we've been watching right after this. 
With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. All right, folks. Uh, Devendra, there's just a couple things we gotta we gotta mention before yeah. we we wrap up uh, what we've been watching today. I mean, first of all, you saw Suzume, right? Is that, I did is that see correct? Suzume. What'd, yeah. you, what'd you think of it? Did you like it? I, th- I think it's good. Uh, this is the new Makoto Shinkai movie that is still in some theaters, yeah. and uh, I remember you liked it too. I still feel like Your Name is his sort of masterpiece. Yes, I agree. That, that movie a is a tremendous movie. movie. Yeah, movie, that yeah. I love revisiting. This is an interesting one too because it's about a girl who's sort of like on a on a like journey of self discovery, but also it is a reflection of Japan as a as a country where just many disasters have happened. And to me, that is sort of like the interesting underlying theme of this movie. That is, it's kind of fascinating. It's also very much a slice of life movie as you're seeing a girl from, you know, far away from Tokyo slowly make her way there and just like living her life, but also going on this major, you know, uh, almost like a kaiju-esque journey. Like this turns into a kaiju movie at some point. But I think the thing that really strikes me is just that so many parts of this movie are about these locations in Japan where there have been major disasters. And it's about kind of trying to quell you know the souls that have been lost uh, in those two like it is weird how we live in a society where you know major disasters happen all around us and it's almost about the sort of like psychic damage left on a place uh, afterwards and how you how you need to like come to terms with that so i found that fascinating yeah, and, be- uh, yeah be- beautiful beautifully movie. said beautifully said davindra yeah and uh and J- japan has a lot of natural disasters tsunamis yes. volcanoes um and it, it it's uh rare to see a movie tackle that in such a thematically rich way like this one does mm-hmm. um so yeah uh, i agreed not as good as as your name i think the i honestly think the main character the protagonist is a little bit underdeveloped from a, from oh, a character everything's standpoint. underdeveloped this Com- is supposed to be a room like there's a romance here and I'm yeah like, i don't it's, it's i don't completely, buy that completely i that's the weakest part of the movie in my opinion. but know, it's so, beautiful yeah. and i like this theme looks you know? amazing the movie mm-hmm. looks amazing worth checking out uh it's susan may it's in theaters right now um you know what devendra let's save the baby j conversation for next week how about sure, that that's we, fine. we both watch baby, watch j. baby j jeff john like john mulaney's new special um, yes. And, uh, oh yeah, I really want to watch that. There's, yeah. a, there's, watch a, that. there's a long conversation to be had about that, but let's save it for next week because we're going pretty long on, on the what we've been watching. So um, I will watch that before next week as well. Cool, cool. We can talk about it during what we've been watching. But anyway, um, let's uh, let's wrap up what we've been watching and get to weekly plugs real quick. Mm-hmm. 
Weekly Plugs is part of the show each week where we plug something else we've been making. I want to plug my free newsletter, which you can subscribe to for free. It costs $0, decodingeverything.com. I wrote a little bit about the writer's strike, wrote a little bit about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. It's also where I put all the stuff that I'm making, including the videos and the podcasts that I make here with the Filmcast guys. So check it out at decodingeverything.com if you yeah, want but to buy How much does it cost? Uh, $0. What? Zero doll hairs, Jeffrey. Wow. Wow. Just your time to subscribe. You should yes. mention that when you bring it up, that it's free. <laughs> I, I know you're making fun of me, but I, people are legitimately confused by these Substacks. They're like, oh, yeah. I need to pay to subscribe? The so whole, it's like, yeah. yeah. So I got to, because there's a lot of Substacks you pay money for. This one, you don't yep. have to, at least for now. Uh, decodingeverything.com. Devendra Hardawar, what's your weekly plug? I want to shout out the latest episode of the Engadget Podcast. Uh, I joined with uh, Jessica Condit, who reviews games with us. Um, We talked about Redfall and kind of what a disaster that game turned out to be, which is a shame because I love Arcane. And we also talked about Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Um, I'm playing the piece of the PC port of that too. And that is another sort of like weirdly disappointing thing. So Jeff, I'm sure you, you've seen the drama around this stuff. Indeed. And uh, I've played both of those games. And uh... I want to love Redfall. But man, yeah, I think I, it's I not know. as bad as all that. It's it's fine. It's a fine. It's it's kind it's of the uh, the red notice of video games. It's it's yeah. you know one <laughs> Come, one metric video game. You know, coming from Arcane, I expect more than fine. I feel like that is my thing. I also talked with Nita Manzur, the director of Polite Society, and we'll be talking about that movie more later. But yeah, I talked with her about how she lives with technology, and we had a fun chat. It, 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 the red notice of video games is not a terrible way to describe it, Jeff. <laughs> right? In, in the sense that it was also very expensive. Um, yes. Yeah. Anyway. No stars. Uh, <laughs> Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug. I mentioned it last week. I'm going to mention it again. That's right. You can get a limerick made by me for you to your specifications read by me in a video you get at cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata. That's right. A limerick handcrafted with my brain hands for you. Uh, For any occasion, people love it. There's over a hundred and, I don't know, hundred and something five-star reviews on my Cameo page of uh, happy customers who have uh, have purchased a a limerick for their loved one or for themselves. Mother's Day's coming up, great time for limericks. Father's Day after that, great time for limericks. Tuesdays, great time for limericks. You know what I'm saying? You don't need a special occasion to give yourself the gift that keeps on giving for at least five lines. Cameo.com slash Jeff Canada. All right. And of course, if you want to support this podcast, always want to give a plug to the Patreon at patreon.com slash film podcast, uh, where you can sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. This week, we'll be covering Polite Society on the After Dark. We never want anyone to donate if it in any way causes them financial hardship. You know, this is a thing that's happened a couple times. We've actually got a couple of messages from folks um, apologizing for canceling their patreons you you never need to apologize like we understand yeah things are we're, in a we're very never, we're not gonna forgive you <laughs> <laughs> things are in a very challenging things are very challenging <laughs> for everyone we never want anyone to donate if it causes you financial hardship um and and, and it's actually very moving to people who feel like they they need to apologize like you know that's very nice um but yeah do do take care of yourself take care of your family do what you need to do for and sure if you, if you have any cash left over um, patreon.com slash film podcast we'd love your support of course you can always support us for free leave a review on Apple Podcast or uh, wherever you listen to your podcast or share about the podcast on social media that really does help us out a lot uh, in fact it's actually very easy to do that but uh, on Instagram instagram.com slash uh, the filmcast pod we're posting reels of our conversations every week 
Um, share those on Instagram stories. Spread the word of the podcast. That really helps us out a lot. We'd really appreciate it. Um, but yeah, thanks to everyone who supports us in any way that you can. We really, really are grateful. And if Let's you're get- not, if you haven't checked out those reels on Instagram, they're good fun. Uh, yeah, good, good reels. I'm really um, happy with how that all has happened. I know we've hired an editor to do that, and it, it is. It's. I'm delighted when we pop up in my feed yeah <laughs> jeff loves seeing his own face on there well you know? a lot of times it's not my face but <laughs> I, I still watch it yeah. you know yeah that's um, how good but- it is that i'm willing to watch it when it's not my face <laughs> huge grateful a huge gratitude to uh kurt and john our video editors who put a lot of that stuff together for us but yeah check it out at uh, on instagram and also on tiktok all right folks guardians of the galaxy volume three let's get to our review i'm gonna tell you something I'm Star-Lord. I formed the Guardians. Met a girl, fell in love. That girl died, but then she came back. Came back a total dick. Oh, please. He left out some important information, but that is the gist of it. My sacred mission is to create the perfect society. He didn't want to make things perfect. He just hated things the way they are. Welcome to the Filmcast's review of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I'm going to read it from the plot summary. Ooh, plop summary. Plot summary from IMDb. (laughs) Still reeling from the loss of Gamora, Peter Quill rallies his team to defend the universe and one of their own, a mission that could mean the end of the Guardians, if not successful. Uh, I'm going to read separately from this profile of James Gunn at The Hollywood Reporter. Hollywood Reporter did a story about James Gunn and how Uh, His tumultuous history with the Guardians franchise, uh, people may or may not recall, he Mm -hmm. was actually uh, fired from the Guardians franchise before there was a massive campaign to bring him back. And then obviously he ended up writing and directing Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Now Potentially one of the biggest uh, L's for Marvel. one of the biggest corporate L's for Marvel. Uh, Of course, uh, now James Gunn works for a rival studio, so that's also important context. (laughs) Runs the rival studio. (laughs) Uh, this is a oh, quote man. from this article at the Hollywood Reporter. The headline of the article is James Gunn's Guardians, How Chris Pratt and His Marvel Castmates Rescued Their Director's Career. Uh, quoting from the article, Despite the camaraderie and feel-good vibes at the shoot, these are serious times for Marvel, and the pressure surrounding Guardians 3, 3's release is high. The film arrives at a critical moment for the studio, which is facing challenges on several fronts. Its most recent title, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, has underperformed and was a dud with critics. Meanwhile, one of that movie's stars, Jonathan Majors, who is supposed to anchor the next several years of Marvel films as its chief villain, is facing domestic assault charges in New York. That incident occurred right after longtime production executive uh, Victoria Alonso was fired from making the feature Argentina 1985 with another studio, end quote. So a lot of tumult at Marvel, a lot of questions as to whether so rough. Yeah. Uh, superhero movies are going to be as viable as they were in the past moving forward. In light of all that, Devinder Hardwar, I'm going to ask you a very exaggerated hyperbolic question. Sure. And redundant, too, because I said exaggerated and hyperbolic. Um, does Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 restore Marvel to its former glory? Well, Dave, I think this movie is is too long. 
It's pretty <laughs> shaggy. Wears its heart on its sleeve. And I also think it's a masterpiece. So yes, I do think it, it does kind of restore some of the glamour to the MCU. Um, I, I think this is the most James Gunn movie to ever, to ever James Gunn, to be honest. <laughs> and I've been following his career forever. And this guy loves making movies about a ragtag group of outsiders who are like, you know, who are trying to like, you know, make some sort of found family um, against the sort of like conformity of society around them. Um, There's so much weirdness in this movie that feels absolutely refreshing. And it reminds me of like when, when the MCU can be genuinely weird, which I think they were trying to do with quantum mania. And that just felt like so much of that, the weirdness in that movie felt like it was pre-manufactured, like CG clip art almost. Like nothing felt like, oh, uh, uh, the the actual artist's intent, the director's intent of like whatever this thing is going to look like is actually there. I just I just feel this as somebody who's watched James Gunn's movies. Like, this is so him. This is purely him. And I think it has, you know, some problems, sure. Um, but I think ultimately it is really fascinating to see the creative vision uh, vision of a single writer and director span across three Marvel movies. And we, we haven't got that before, you know, and that's what makes the guardians movies so special and so unique amidst like all the other MCU stuff. Um, I love the first one. I think a lot of everybody kind of loved the first one. The second one was kind of a little more hit or miss, but I still appreciate like what it was going for. Like there were definitely themes of family and fatherhood and growth there. And this movie is ultimately about it. It is more self-discovery. It is self-enlightenment. It is about, you know, yes, understanding the people around you, but also understanding yourself more. And there's so much personal growth in here um, that I can't help but love this movie. James Gunn is so great at characters. He loves his characters, even when he punishes them and does really cruel things to some of them. There is a character reason for a lot of the, for everything happening in this movie. So yeah, the plot's a little convoluted. I don't think the villain is very like he he is not among the best Marvel villains, like not as sympathetic as some others. But at the same time, Chukuri Iwuji is so like is so entertaining to watch as a high evolutionary. Like there there's so much that works about this movie that I also think um, especially James Gunn fans will appreciate too. I, I won't mention some of the people that pop up, but it is fun to see their faces back in space. So yeah, I love this movie. I understand it's flawed, but I love it. Yeah, uh, uh, Chikuti Uwuji also was in uh, Peacemaker. Yeah. People might remember from yeah. that. He was great in that show as well. Um, Devendra, the, the, I thought that was very... Uh, nicely said. I agree with most of what you said. I, uh, minor correction. I do think there have been a couple of trilogies where we have seen the same director do all three. If I'm not mistaken, I think John Watts did all three Spider-Man movies. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's um, true. And, then, and the, those um, have a distinct like vision. And then I think uh, Peyton Reed also did um, all three Ant-Man movies. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, that's true. That's anyway, true. So anyway, but yeah. you know, we can dispute the quality of those, but just want to acknowledge that there's been a couple of other things where I, I do agree with your, your points that this does feel every one of these movies feels like a James Gunn movie, mm -hmm. in my opinion. I totally forgot and, that those yeah. two movies were from the same director because <laughs> right. like it is sort of like the distinctiveness of the vision mm -hmm. there. I yeah, just yeah, yeah. Kind of washed away. But yes, you're right. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Well, Dave. I guess you could say my thoughts on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is best summed up in the form of a limerick. Fancy that. Let's hear it. Unpredictable. All blockbuster filmmakers strive to make CGI feel this alive. With emotional stakes and humor, this makes my personal Marvel top five. Hey. Whoa. 
I Jeff agree with likes Devendra. Marvel movies again. Yay! I like Marvel movies again. Thank. We're back. Everybody. Everybody. All is we're right back, with baby. the world. Back. We're, we're back. We're back, baby. But I do love this Marvel movie, and it is in my top five of all Marvel movies. I think it's the my it's my favorite Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Um, I didn't love the second one. Uh, I think the first one is very good, but this one I think is is my favorite of all of them. Um, it really does, as you said, Devendra wear its heart on its sleeve. It's a, a beautifully heartfelt, lovely movie. Uh, and I wept during it. Um, I laughed out loud numerous times. I love, there are action sequences where I was applauding. There's one long one uh, down a hallway that is utterly spectacular and like applause inducing. It is, it delivers on every single level that I would want as a sort of culmination uh, punctuation mark for a, a trilogy of films about these characters. I feel like it does great service to all of them. Every character in this very large ensemble has a cool moment, has a really iconic character moment, uh, which is very hard to do with a cast this big with a, with a, a number of characters we care about this big. Um, the, we go to really inventive wild new places that are, are, are just so imaginative and add to the canon of things the guardians of the galaxy have done that are over the top and wild. And, and I've never seen that before. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It has great soundtrack. I mean, it does everything you want from a movie like this. And especially in contrast to Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, which is a movie that I have constantly thrown under the bus you know it, it's keep, really going to be going. my it's not dead yet jeff just keep going not dead yet it, it's 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 going to continue to be my whipping boy i think throughout blockbuster season because it is the low bar the low watermark <laughs> for the the worst uh the worst temptation of blockbuster filmmaking and this movie guardians of the galaxy volume three is a wash in cgi a wall. It is wall-to-wall -wall CGI. Environments that are built in CGI. Full characters. Entire scenes where all we're watching are three, four, five different CGI characters interacting with one another. But does it feel like real places that real people actually are walking around in? Yes, it does. Even when the, the, the action, the, the environment is huge and bombastic and bizarre and boggles the mind... There are these touchstones. It feels like actual actors in actual places. It feels like real characters emoting even when they're CGI characters. It really is the opposite end of that spectrum for me of how a tool like visual effects, like CGI, can be utilized in a way to create these fantastical worlds in authentic, grounded, beautiful ways. and. I thought that was worth noting here as well, because as much as, as they are constantly in places that could not exist, I never was pulled out of the movie by that. I never felt like these actors weren't really in a place interacting with real things, even mm -hmm. when stuff is over the top and, and, and wild. I think this movie is a triumph. I think it really does reestablish Marvel as the thing to beat for, uh, for the summer as far as a four quadrant, completely satisfying, wildly entertaining experience. 
does it have elements of darkness and and sadness and and you know some some PG thirteen real PG thirteen moments? Yes. Did that mar the experience for me in, in any respect? No, it did not. And I think it's going to be a huge hit with families. Yeah, this movie takes also some some really unique chances too. Like it opens with an acoustic version of Creep. Yeah, and I just wanted to From get Radiohead, up and be like, yeah. kids. Yeah, this is the good shit. Um. It is a sad, slow, slow song that every like um, lonely teenager, at least during the 90s, played endlessly. And first of all, it's fascinating to see it at the beginning of this movie, but also it's Rocket. It is how Rocket's feeling. And Mm -hmm. Rocket is emotionally a teenager, somebody who's always felt outside in this in this world and has never quite fit in. It's a great song, but it's also so perfectly fitting for that character. And then you're starting this big budget movie on just a slow, sad song. I was just like, that's confidence, James Gunn. Because that, the first movie had to open on like big 70s, you know, thumping energetic music. Here, and I'll tell you. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And I and I tell you, it it makes me extremely excited to see what he does with Superman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where, whereas it's a very different tonally than, than this movie and the kinds of movies that you have characterized Devendra as being James Gunn movies. You know, it, it, I think he's going to have to be working in a in a in a very different mode. Mm-hmm. But the heart of this film, the sort of humanity of it, the the goodness that is at the center of this movie, makes me very, very, very excited about what he does with Superman. <clears throat> Absolutely, a hundred percent agree with that. Um, look, I don't want to get into a whole argument about this because I hate. Here we go. We, I, hate I hate when people argue. You know, things. I hate when I hate when we argue, Jeff. Um, I actually agree with like 99% of what you said, except for the part about this being great for families. Here's what I will just say. Um, if you are a parent thinking of taking your child to go see this movie, educate yourself on what's in the movie first. Yep. Um, I had it's a PG-13. number. PG-13. I had PG- a number. There, there, I mm-hmm. had a number of parents reach out to me after I posted my um, initial reactions on Instagram and Blue Sky and Mastodon and um, and they uh, and <laughs> yeah. they said, hey, like, what's actually in the movie? And I told them, and they're like, oh, I was gonna go take my young child to go see this movie. It depends on now, how young. Yeah. And now I'm not going to go do that. And they and, mm-hmm. and then some of them saw the movie and they're like, I'm really grateful that I did not take my child. To it's PG-13, but it goes hard in ways that I didn't expect. Like, there's a severe animal cruelty here, but yeah. also. There's a point where somebody's face gets kind of yeah, like no, no, let's not, let's not get into the whole into thing. spoilers, but yeah, but this yeah, I think, I think um, uh, Jeff, you bring up a good point. It is PG-13, and yep. I, I mean, I personally, first of all, a think that honestly, I think it is really at the line of PG-13 and R, yes. in my opinion. Yeah. yeah, you may disagree. That's fine. And the other thing I would say is a lot of parents aren't used to what the PG 13 of days of yore was like. Well, that's the problem is that we have, we have sort of PG 13 has become the new PG. Yes. And people think that you can, you know, you can take a six or seven year old to a PG 13 movie. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think that's a problem. PG 13 existed because Kalima Shakti day, Kalima Shakti day, pulling a still beating heart out of the chest (laughs) Yep. of a person in a yep. temple of doom yep. was PG. That was <laughs> yeah. a PG movie. Uh, so, I mean, I understand this, you know, a, a couple of things that happened in this movie, but PG 13 means it's appropriate for 13 year olds. Yeah, I think it's good to have that warning. Like I, w- I went to a 10 30 screening. I was like, then I looked at how long this movie was like, Oh no. 
And there were definitely six or seven year olds on a school night uh, at that screen. I was like, hmm, that's that's something. They were awakened. They loved it. So I, maybe they're I, traumatized. I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't. Well, I, I don't think it's unreasonable for parents to think, hey, because yeah. the first two Guardians movies. They had some violence in them, but it's like yep. I would. It's very comfortable to take a child to go see those movies. But mm-hmm. like, um, I, I think mommy, this why one, is that dad's father a god? Yeah, yeah. There, there's a lot of questions. This why one has some planet? more upsetting material in it. So mm-hmm. anyway, uh, just educate yourself. You know, don't take our word for it. Educate yourself. Look up what's in the movie before you decide to take your children. And I, honestly, that was why I did, like. That's part of why I did my walk back of this movie doing as well. It does have an A cinema score, so if you want to call that out. Um, but I think that just like it is in many ways a deeply upsetting movie. Like it's so it upsetting. Is, yeah. Um, it's upset me. I'm a grown ass man and it deeply upset me to watch this movie. At the same time, I agree with a lot of what you guys have said. Basically, I most agree, agree with Devendra exactly. It's a very shaggy movie. It's over stuff. There's a lot of stuff going on in this movie, a lot of different ideas. But I also agree with Jeff that like this movie takes you to cool new worlds you actually believe that these people have gone there it does a really good job of blending cg and practical sets um it makes it feel like you know with with quantumania it feels like hey let's put these people on a set we'll just think up everything around them afterwards Mm -hmm. Uh, that's what it felt like i'm not saying that's what they actually did with this movie it feels like let's think about how this world that they're in would work like what are the mechanics of this world what how would things look and feel and it really does feel like they holistically created it in a way that's really interesting Mm -hmm. uh i really like a lot about what they did with this movie i agree with you it had like it's the characters that really make this work if you are invested emotionally in these characters uh i think this movie will do a pretty good job of paying off a lot of what has been built up over the course of the last few movies it relies a shockingly large amount on the guardians of the galaxy holiday special. <laughs> so if you, haven't, if you haven't seen that, I would definitely educate yourself on that before you see this movie. Yeah. Um, but I overall, don't think that's necessary. Yeah, I, I haven't seen that, but I, I knew enough to be like, Oh, well I know that dog and I know where they yeah, are. And like, sure. that's fine. You get overall, it. I had a good time and I think that it does, <laughs> um, deliver on the goods. Um, let me ask, uh, you know what? I, I had a question. You know, I'll save it for spoilers. I'll save it for spoilers. So, but overall, yeah. we all we all like this movie. We all like it. I think to, to, to be clear, by the way, your summary of what I was saying. I don't want to chat GPT the situation, Dave. Um, I was being a little facetious at the beginning because I I want to do the old topsy turvy on you because yeah yeah there, there are complaints, but ultimately I see I see that doesn't matter as much to me. Yeah, I, yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. I was yeah. emphasizing your complaints because yes. they're more yes. uh, in line with my thinking about it. Yep. But overall, I like the movie as well, and I I think I. Agree with Bilga Ibiri's review over at Vulture, which is titled "It's Nice to See a Good Marvel Movie Again." Yes, you know? yeah, and it that's really how I feel. This is my favorite Marvel film since um, No Way Home. Like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I have not enjoyed a Marvel film this much since No Way Home. I think it has, is by far the best since No Way Home for sure. Yeah. It has um, a lot of a lot of issues, right? Like, and we'll talk about it more in spoilers. But yeah, go ahead, Jeff. What are you going to say? I want to. I want to have a little counterpoint to i think i think the the villain in this movie the high evolutionary is awesome yeah i I think i think better honestly more compelling more interesting more fun than kang the conqueror has been thus far Mm -hmm. personally i i think jonathan major's performance as kang is is very good but what they've done with the character of kang has been uh, outside the loki series has been pretty uninteresting and I think this character is super interesting. High evolutionary is a much more yeah. like <clears throat> as he's portrayed in this movie. I mean, he's chewing scenery and I love yeah. it, 
but also like his his big ideas and and the sort of the specifics of his villainy is much more interesting, much more compelling to me. I I loved the villain yeah. in this movie. Absolutely, he's, he's he. You understand what his goal is, you know. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Um, there are a lot of broad strokes as they paint him, but I do think it, it is compelling, and also some really great character work from him too. Not a spoiler, but I do think there is a great moment with like a box that he has to step on to be above. Uh, yeah. what's her face so to be funny. above the tallest woman in the world, you know? Um, so it, it really does. Of, it really yeah. does kind of make me feel like they really biffed it with the, the Kang introduction in quantum mania. Like, I, yes. I, I, I mean, yeah. Kang was technically introduced in Loki, but like, I, this I was really going to be like, his big, yeah, that yes. was going to be. And it's like, I think they completely utterly failed to yes. make you sympathize. Like with high, high evolutionary, terrible person, terrible human being. Um, but it's like, I, I understand how someone might, think yes, that way like, exactly like it's, they, they well, have a goal yeah. that is like yeah. understandable right like right. i think we're um, building off the thanos goal too yeah, like exactly. oh he has he has this goal and he's just gonna do it at all costs and i think this one's immediately well you see the problems here very very thanos-esque yeah. very thanos-esque um, yeah but i think it's different enough to make it distinct and and mm-hmm. I, I you know there's a lot of really yeah. cool detail here yeah, about yeah, yeah how agreed. he goes about it what he did and this agreed. i mean yeah the notion of being the smartest person in the in the room and and recognizing that someone might be mm-hmm. smarter than you is a wonderful foil for that. I, I thought that was pretty around that. cool. And yeah. also, yeah. The guy's goal is perfection and the guardians are not. And I yeah, do love right. that this movie is a celebration of that, the imperfection of humanity, basically. So Agreed. Yeah. All right, let's get to spoilers for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 starting right now. I thought up an ending for my book. It makes no damn sense. Compels me, though. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. When I buy a new book, I always read the last page first. That way, in case I die before I finish, I know how it ends. You can't handle the truth! Inconceivable! I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. All right. So, a few things to discuss when it comes to Volume 3 and the ending. I mean, I'm just going to say... The the stuff with the animals, dude, super freaking traumatizing, man. Trauma- like, and also, perhaps the biggest complaint, it's a little cloying because you're creating these super cute animals who are like clearly like experiments were done on them. They're all they all die. They all they yeah. got to die. They got to die. And that. Yeah, of course they do. Yeah. I, don't yeah, know. I thought I, it was beautiful. I, I, the the moment mm-hmm. of him when walking he just, toward the light and her saying, not yeah. yet. It's, it's, that's you know, good. Yeah. I and then when he like was, discovers yeah. all the little rocket raccoons, you yes. know, the little mm-hmm. raccoon, that's a very lovely moment. And, and, and to its credit, you know, mm-hmm. um, I think he, James Gunn's treats those, all that stuff with the, the animals with, uh, a lot of gravity. Like he's not like, mm-hmm. there's no joking around about any of that stuff. He's like, this is really serious stuff and we're yeah. going to treat it like this and it's going to be upsetting, but it's going to be thematically related to what we're talking about in the movie. And it's mm-hmm. going to be like worth it. And I do think that it is worth it. Like, I don't feel like he was too manipulative or mistreated the subject. Um, but mm-hmm. it is like an upsetting subject, you know, and, it's and I think he did, it, he did it well. And my favorite and, yeah. little moment was when, you know, they, they get the entire uh, zoo of animals. They're yeah. having them all come over. There's a stampede of just dozens and dozens of different creatures. And we get that one moment where the woman's like, yeah, and she catches it and it just claws the shit out of her. And she's <laughs> like, yeah, these are wild animals. These are a lot wild of them. animals. Uh, you know, not huggable, not huggable. What do you guys, so there, there is like one complaint I'm seeing across like some commentary around this movie is that that, that scene, the one scene is against another set of animals that were experimented on and do did they deserve the same level 
of empathy as these other ones were letting free. And it's a good question. It didn't bother me as I was watching it because I'm like, those guys are trying to kill the Guardians. Yeah, right. So it's the, like at the, the, at the very least defense. they need to defend But, but it's, yeah. it's awkward. Any... TV show or movie that has talking animals eventually yep. comes up with this, it like meets mm -hmm. this problem. And actually, uh, there was a really great uh, episode of BoJack Horseman that addressed this mm. topic. Like in the world of BoJack Horseman, there's talking animals, but they also yep. eat animals. And so it's yeah. like they had to like address it somehow and they acknowledged it in a really like funny and interesting way, I thought. But yeah, this movie doesn't have time to do any of that. Um, so I, I, I agree with you, Devendra. It's like, kind of like, you can't think too much about that or else. It it's, uh, right. it's a whole thing. I do think like the, the symbolism of the wonder is kind of fun because the band is back together and the way they so kind good. of like just work harmoniously. It is, it's beautiful. Like that brought it, so that many things in this movie brought a tear to my eye, but that certainly did. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing because it's very rare for mm -hmm. a Marvel film to still be able to wow you when it comes to action. We've just seen. John Wick Chapter Four that has some of the best, most inventive action in any movie of the last of few all years. time, and of it's all like time. it's and I find myself watching like Dungeons and Dragons, and it's like okay, it's fine, the action's fine, it's not, it's not bad, but it's like they clearly put effort into it. But then it, many movies, it's like oh wow, it doesn't come close to the creativity of John Wick Chapter Four. Then you see the hallway scene in this, and it's like wow, like you're wondering like how did they even accomplish this you know it doesn't even make sense yeah, and so it's nice it's to have a, a wild moment like that in in a movie like this i also um, thought the opening action with uh, adam warlock arriving mm -hmm. to nowhere was pretty darn cool and and I, I loved how it interrupted that sort of we we just start the movie in this really kind of serene lovely slow place and then adam warlock comes in like a bull in a china shop and i, I thought that whole sequence was awesome and it really established how powerful he is um, I thought that was I thought cool. That, I thought, you know, I thought that Adam Warlock and his and Elizabeth Debicki, like that was one too many. I know it's like the inciting incident, but it felt one like too many one golden too people. many yeah. plots for me. Like it, it just, you know. I also, what oh, was yeah, her plot that. from before? Like I remember seeing Elizabeth Debicki, but was she, was it Guardians 2? I forget I how they were in a post-credits. Post yeah. Post-credits, yeah. Yeah. Post -credits scene, yeah. Um, yeah. But I have well, a, she I have was a in Guardians 2, but then they introduced Adam Warlock at the end. So yeah, that's all we had. Yeah. I have seen a lot of commentary online that has actually confused me mm -hmm. uh, about how when you watch Guardians 3 and the credits, right? If you watch the credits of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, it's scenes and photos and images from like the entire Guardians trilogy, basically. Right. And I've seen a lot of people say, this movie is kind of an elegy for this era of film going or theatrical experiences where superhero films were like had this place of primacy in our society. Right. Mm -hmm. And that, and that like we, it's an acknowledgement that like that era is kind of is fading and potentially going away, which I'm like, I don't know if I really picked up on that. It may be from a business perspective, but I didn't really sure, get sure. that from the movie itself. No. Like, I don't no. know if you guys picked that up on that. I felt more yeah, like okay. saying goodbye to these characters because yeah. Gunn is gone. Like right. Gunn is going to be doing other stuff for a while. Okay, okay, cool. so, I, I've yeah. seen a lot of people being like, yeah, this movie felt like a, a you know, a goodbye to this era of superhero well, movies in general. And it's like, wouldn't that be an I, odd I think, thing for James reading... Gunn to do if, if he's going <laughs> off to literally start a new era of these kinds of well, movies? It's a, yeah. Complete, yeah. Complete, it is a new era. I the end of one like era. Reading, yeah. People are reading in like business reality yeah. into Projecting. this movie, which I don't, I don't think it's there. Now, here's what I will say about this movie. Um, one of the things I like most about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is what they did with the character of Gamora. 
they could have easily just, hey, Gamora and Peter Quill fell in love again and like things are back to status quo. But yeah. um, they acknowledge, hey, sometimes the people who you love change. And sometimes, like your time with them needs to come to an end. And like sometimes Gamora... you go back in time to get an earlier version of the person you loved before they loved you, and it just doesn't work out. Sometimes it's that old chest. We've all been there. <laughs> we've all we've all been there. But yes. uh, yeah, it's it's a different version of Gamora. And then like at the end, Gamora finds her own family, and they kind of like say goodbye. And that's like a very, mm-hmm. um, it's a very lovely adult thing, right? It's a there, very like some, yeah. yeah. The, the a, interpersonal it, dynamics are great too. Like Nebula, Nebula starting in the first guardians movie was just straight up bad girl like bad yeah. guy bad villain and then we slowly get her humanity i think karen gillen has done some of the best work in the entire mcu honestly with Absolutely. that character because she was she was wasn't she with tony stark you know when he was drifting through space as well and yeah here nice. it's like here you can also really tell that she kind of likes peter quill <laughs> and she can't it can't quite happen she's a cyborg girl and he used to be in love with her sister and it's a whole thing, but like yeah. you kind of get that sense too. And I like her, her sense of leadership of this group. Now, a lot of this stuff, just like, this is just strong character work too. And, uh, did you guys catch the group thing at the end, which I think is just really, yeah, really interesting. Yeah. So, so the context, so first of all, yeah, just before we move to that, uh, yeah. I, I just want to say, yeah, the, the Gamora stuff, a, a lesser filmmaker, a lesser film would have like they got together and everything's happy ever after. But it's like, hey, it's it's okay to acknowledge that sometimes like you move on from people in your life, and like yeah. that's a very mm-hmm. mature thing for, uh, message for a movie like this to have. Um, and I don't know if it was James Gunn's decision for Gamora to be like that. Like I don't know. Like it wasn't his movie when that happened, right? Endgame right. when that happened. So it was like. Well, it's he, interesting he, that the very very last uh, title card yeah, as is. Marvel tradition <clears throat> says, you know, somebody will return in this case, star Lord, star Lord yeah. yeah. will return, yeah. which I thought was very interesting uh, because yeah. maybe that's part of it is we're setting up star Lord for his own solo movie, uh, yeah. which will the- theoretically have a love he will, interest. He will probably pop up in others too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, yeah, yeah. The, so, but the, the, so, so the Groot stuff is very cool throughout mm-hmm. all the movies. Groot says, I am Groot the whole time. Uh, and the characters understand what he's actually saying but outwardly he's saying I'm Groot. At the very end of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, Groot speaks. Uh, first of all, Gamora understands what Groot's saying, even though throughout the movie she hasn't. So it's like, oh, yeah. she now understands what Groot's saying. But then you, as the audience member, hear Groot say the words, I love you guys. Hashtag family. Yeah. Hashtag family. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, I saw io9 inter... I am in another movie this summer. Go see it. <laughs> Groot will I, return. Yes. <laughs> that was more of a Sylvester Stallone, who, by the way, was kind of wasted uh, in this movie. Uh, hey, has there ever been a movie with less Sylvester Stallone in it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe The Suicide, Suicide Squad, Squad, where he was yeah. not even on screen. But yeah. um, the So uh, I saw IO9's explanation of this. IO9, ha- their Jermaine. interpretation mm-hmm. was that uh, you are now part of Groot's family, and that's why you understand... Yeah. I feel like yeah. yeah. Yes. So the the uh, the fifth element is love, Dave. And that's what <laughs> that's what it takes to understand Groot is you have to have love in your heart. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The real guardians. Yeah, we're, were the friends we made along, along the way. You know, the friends we made along the way. Um, so yeah, that was that was a lovely moment as well. Um, but yeah, D- Davingra, in, in the pre-spoiler mm-hmm. section, you referenced some of the gruesome stuff that happens in this movie. Yeah. Some stuff. And when like, I mean, the yeah. high evolutionary's face gets ripped off, I'm like, that is some that is upsetting ro- face off going at it. stuff. I man. don't know. Like, it plays kind of goofy. It doesn't play super visceral to me. 
It, it was, was pretty. It felt pretty gross. I mean, like, if oh, they make a, a joke out of it. It's not. Uh, what's so weird is like Jeff is like the <laughs> the least horror yeah. fan among the show. It's true. Like yeah. we just watch Evil Dead Rise. I'm like, I can absorb that gore. That's yeah. fine. But like, you know, but then know, the yeah. guy getting his face viciously it, ripped this off is, in Face Off, an R-rated action movie. We never actually get yeah, to you, see you. You get a face ripped off. The camera shies away because it's too scary. <laughs> you can't look at it. Jeff. You get a better view of the guy's face being ripped off in Guardians Volume Three than in the movie Face Off. But see, I think you guys are the weird ones here. You, you you're like, oh yeah, um, set fire to someone and and have them, you know, bleeding out of their eyeballs and all like all of the Evil Dead stuff. That's a horror movie. Yeah. yeah it's exactly. a horror. It's a, That's exactly you, right. It's a horror movie. You are primed for it. This is a comedy. It. You are primed for it. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. I yeah. think, I I mean, this, it looks like, uh, you know, it looks like silly putty on his face. It looks pretty gruesome. Make it completely disagree. I don't completely yeah. disagree. Okay. I, I will say the other thing about the high evolutionary, his, his, his face, uh, when we're first introduced to him, is straight up Robocop. And they yeah. even make the RoboCop reference. And I do think that's kind of, that's like one of the, yeah. we know who this movie is made for. Pretty cool, pretty cool stuff. And but, who this movie is also made for is fans of Nathan Fillion. Like Yes. Me. So yeah. He's great in the movie too. He's so good. Like when he, when he popped up, like I was, I was, it was a Thursday, 1030 screening. So maybe fans, but I'm in the suburbs guys. I'm not near like major fans here. And yeah, people started cheering for Nathan Fillion back in space, Aww, baby. That's nice. Back in All, space. That entire yeah. sequence of going to the organic planet so good. It's phenomenal. Like so good. Every Ridiculous beat, good, yeah. every moment, like the, you know, uh, Mantis making the receptionist fall in love with, uh, uh, fall in love with Drax, you know. Which and, is her go-to <laughs> Which is her go-to thing. thing. Like, every time you got to do. And all of that. <laughs> and Peter Quill thinking he can like charm the lady and then Gamora aborting that mission. All of that stuff. All of the, the details of the organic thing, how they break in. Even the beginning when they're like, the yellow corresponds to red, green corresponds to blue. All of that. It's so fun. It's so funny. The logistics of that world and how that organic matter all works yeah. and how the people's yeah. armor all works and how the, the world in there is it, like all the elevator where you push your hand into goo. Just every detail of that sequence. I was just like, I love this movie. I love so the world that we're in, how specific everything is, how it all is thought about and thought through and realized in very tangible, tactile ways. Ah, I loved it. It's a it was a balancing act. And also like when Nathan Fillion popped up, didn't I didn't realize he was gonna be in this movie. I feel like that was like for me and for specific people who know like Slither was uh was Nathan Fillion's best movie ever, directed by James Gunn. <laughs> and also Nathan Fillion, very good in space, very good in space, um, being annoyed at everybody around him. And he gets yeah. like James Gunn writes for that sensibility of what Nathan Fillion can do so well too. So it's like all those things love him so well. Um, Daniela Melchior from uh, from Suicide Squad also pops up in that sequence. She's Ura, um, so good. Like I think that whole sequence like is the best. So this is Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy at its best. Basically. Yeah, I, I agree because it's like, hey, we're taking you to fantastic new worlds. Mm -hmm. You can like an organic you know, building is like just a really cool disgusting. concept. Like, disgusting yeah. looking it's, planet. It's, it's all just really well yeah. done. I thought, um, and probably the highlight of the movie, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I thought animal planet was pretty great. I, I thought animal planet was very funny and fun yeah. and weird. And I mean, the, there's so many, when he goes to uh, earth two or whatever it is, right? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Counter earth, counter earth, counter earth. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, and it, I mean, all, all of that stuff, Everything played for me. Everything played. I mean, even 
<laughs> you know, even the ship and the how, you know, one group of the characters is trying to break into the ship, the other to save the yeah. other group of characters that aren't even on it. All of that. It's there's so many Classic wonderful hijinks. ideas. Yeah. Classic yeah. hijinks. Agreed. One, there is one plot line, a plot hole that will probably gnaw at me, but I still love this movie. How long have they been traveling with Rocket? And he has <laughs> never been injured to the point where they had to use like a med pack on him and realize <laughs> that probably can't do that. This guy, they, they fought Thanos. They fought hordes of aliens from Thanos. Rocket <laughs> mm-hmm. was never injured enough to like be like, guys, don't use the med pack on me. The magic med packs don't work because of I'm, I'm corporate property or something. That's, <laughs> it's just kind of funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah. it's fine. It doesn't ruin the movie. It's just like <laughs> no. one of those things. Like the entire movie hinges on them not knowing that Rocket has this like right. thing on him, right. basically, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I also gotta say, uh, oh, oh yeah, Devinder, you know your issue with like the the killing the animals thing. Yeah. Um, that also came up for me in the post credit scene where they're like, there's this like army of yeah. creatures coming yeah. to, and it's like, but didn't we just agree in the previous <laughs> movie to not too. hurt animals? Like, like literally, yeah. they're just standing there to mow down all these <laughs> these precious animals. Yeah. That we just said. I, I thought I thought there'd be some line of like, <laughs> me too. Well, these aren't. These aren't, you know, sentient animals with feelings. They can't experience any well, pain and blah, blah, blah. You know, like, they could explain. It's such a weird, like, they could have had them doing literally anything then. It didn't matter. Yeah, they, it didn't, they didn't it, have to be animals. It's just so weird. That it could have like, been like they're, they're stopping a volcano from exploding. Like, exactly. It, it didn't have to be any. And it's such a, it, I thought it was so discordant. It was like, we just watched them stampede all these animals out. And then there's literally a stampede. They're just going to obliterate. Even more, even more, Jeff. It's like, we, James. James Gunn has decided I am going to traumatize a specific <laughs> section of the audience, but but in the furtherance of making a good point, which is, hey, you got to treat animals well. You can't, even if they don't speak human English, uh, they're still yeah, every creature yeah. is worth protecting. They were here first. They were here first. Even if they're and attacking, then, and then have a post credit yeah. scene that's like we're gonna f these things up. Like it's gonna be, <laughs> and it's just like okay, that's really weird. Um, but yeah. okay. But putting that aside, I, th- I yeah. think that was a good. I mean, I, I, it's I like one of those it, things. I, yeah. I like where it left off. I like where it left off with all the, uh, all the guardians. Like all the guardians felt like they got a, a good yeah. solid ending. It was weird to me that they had built up Peter Quill's grandfather. As I agree. Big, and yeah. it was like, and I'm just thinking, a guy. Oh, it's gonna be it's gonna be like Tom Cruise or something like that. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, it's just some guy. It's I really thought there was going to be some stunt casting of something. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and yet it's just a guy. It's just a guy. And it's like, okay, but but I'll say what I loved about it, Jeff, is the second like post-credit scene shows Peter Quill eating cereal. Mm-hmm. And they have like a little discussion where he's like, isn't it just weird if I'm mowing his lawn and her grandson's like right there? So, and and yeah. that's just like classic James Gunn dialogue of like yeah. these awkward moments. It's a you 40 can year old man. When you're, yeah, yeah. When you're talking so with people, <laughs> it just captures like that feeling so well. And I, I love that. That's the ending yeah. of the franchise for these. That's the ending yeah. of the Guardians franchise. I had he chose to thought. end it on that moment. Um, it's it's uh, really lovely. It's really quirky and, and fun yeah. and, and then it's like he will return. It's like, oh, we're gonna get more of the get more of this cereal. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. All right, I also so, love. Yeah, I mean, ahead, I Jeff. love how every single character gets something awesome to do, some realization, some yep. big move forward in their growth. You know, Drax you know, realizing fatherhood is his whole thing, and because um, that character's backstory yeah, is like exactly. he lost his family. That was. Be- yeah. I love the that was mantis. That's great. That was great. I love the mantis moment of. In, in that big action sequence where she's going around and just like, you dance, 
you, you, fight, you know, go crazy. Yeah. And like you realize, oh, she's one of the most powerful beings in this entire universe. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She could just go up and and turn people's brains up against them. That sequence was awesome. And the guy's just dancing <laughs> while everyone's dying around him. Oh man, so fun. So fun. Any other thoughts, guys, before we wrap this up? Uh, I think we all had a good time with the movie. I will yeah, say it was time. like an out-of-body experience. Uh, 80% of the time, you know, even if I disagree with Jeff Kanata, <laughs> I can like understand where Jeff Kanata is coming from, you know? But the other 20%, there's a now and then where it's just like, I feel like we had a completely different experience where Jeff's like, I'm like, Jeff, I am like physically shook yeah, yeah. from that movie and upset. And I don't think that leads to a movie that's going to be yeah. number one at the summer movie box office. Can I tell yeah. you something, Dave? Yeah, go ahead. I had the exact same experience. Getting <laughs> getting a text from you going, oh my God, I just walked out of this movie and I, I, I'm i so upset <laughs> yeah, and disturbed. Yeah. I was like, what movie what? did you see? Yeah, yeah. I really yeah. did. I, I have a hard time imagining yeah. that that's the takeaway of this movie is how I'm setting it is because yeah. I had so much fun. It's so yeah, 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 delightful yeah. an experience to me. It's I fun, mean, delightful. I, I, but yeah. I had someone, I had someone text me after the, after I posted my review and they're like, they asked me what's in the movie. And I explained to them some of the scenes and they're like, that is a hard no. Like I'm not, they're yeah. not, it's not even, they're not taking their kids. They're like, I'm not watching it myself. Mm-hmm. Well, but like, yes, but you, you're explaining to them out of context in a text it's it's not. I, I I think there's some people like okay. I, yeah. I didn't talk about this in what we've been watching, but I just rewatched. I'll, I'll maybe next week. I rewatched mm-hmm. Independence Day because I'm going to be talking about it in another podcast, and people are so invested in that dog <laughs> in Independence Day. People, yeah, it's like dog. hey, you can kill off like literally three billion people, but like harm the dog, and that is unforgivable. Well, that's exactly like, why this is, this is a villain. It's why he's yeah. a villain. I'm just Jeff, saying, I think people yeah. react more, for, for good or ill, people react more strongly when bad things happen to animals than when they happen to humans, often. This is what happens this, when we make Jeff watch four Evil Dead movies back-to-back, <laughs> basically. It's just hey, broken. Two You're of broken those now. Evil Dead yeah. movies are legit goofball comedies, screwball comedies. Fair enough, fair enough, yeah. I mean, that's why Bambi's mom dies. That's why, you know, that's... that's it's. <laughs> A, 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 a plot development loss. that is yeah. a plot development that is often referred to as one of the most traumatizing things <laughs> yeah. people have seen. Happens off screen. <laughs> Happens off screen. You know, this is this is the horse dying in the never ending story level of like traumatization. Yeah, basically, yeah. like this is something that will sink Maybe. into kids' minds. You know. Well, let, let us know. Email. Let thing. us know what you think. Yeah, like Jeff and I want to know which one of us is more wrong, which is usually yeah. yes. how traumatized are your kids? Yeah. from this yeah. movie. Exactly. Yeah, what exactly. and and. I think the bigger issue too is, do you think that will affect the box office of this movie? Because that's mm-hmm. the, that's that was your fundamental position is like I know I mean, I'll, I'll think this you, movie's you, number like, one I, because I it's Top too Gun. upsetting to be a repeat viewing. Mm-hmm. I saw Top Gun three times in theaters. I don't think I can, I can go see this again in theaters. You mm-hmm. know, like this is well, not a movie I want to go see again. But that's me. What about all those right? dogs that Tom Cruise murders in the in the airplane? <laughs> Remember that sequence where he's like mowing down all those dogs and he's like, die dogs. <laughs> all right. Well, at the end of the day, it's really impressive that James Gunn made a movie and uh, we're wishing him the best as he goes off to the DC universe. Yeah. Can't wait to see Superman. That's going to be awesome. If I right? feel about the next Superman movie, the yeah. way I feel about this movie, I will be the happiest boy, you know? Mm-hmm. Indeed. All right, go watch Slither, everybody. Like, go go catch up on your James <laughs> yeah. Gunn. Yeah. And if you really want to get some effed up superhero stuff, super, right? Super. Check that out yeah. as well. Okay. 
well, that's going to bring us into this week's episode of the Filmcast. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast.gmail.com. Our theme song comes courtesy of Tim McEwen from The Midnight. Check out his new band, Varsity Blue. Our spoiler bumper and weekly plug music comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by me, David Chen. Video assistance provided by Kurt Mega and John Barry. Uh, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, uh, and YouTube at the Filmcast Pod on TikTok at the Filmcast. We're posting new videos every week, and share those videos if you have a chance. We'd love that. We'd really appreciate that. It helps to spread the word about the show. Next week, it's going to be Bo is Afraid, which is. If you thought possibly, this movie was upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> possibly the farthest away you can get tonally from Guardians Volume 3. Uh, <laughs> but looking forward to that. We'll see you guys next week here on the Filmcast. Goodbye. Okay,